0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 217th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's tired of wired trying to make fetches happen. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good
1: evening, everybody. Uh, Nice to be here tonight. Have you been taking the opportunity to scroll through your past magic matches, which are soon to vanish into the Aether? Uh,
0: probably the most interesting segment in my limited <laughs> uh, history of top-level magic was when I made Day 2 at Canadian Nationals back in the like late 90s. I think it was like 97 or something. Oh, and geez. went up against Necropotence the f- last four rounds against a bunch of like pretty well known Canadian pros at the time, Gary Gary Krakow, Gary Wise, and some others, and just got my ass handed to me mm-hmm. and got knocked knocked out of top eight contention. That <laughs> is as close to the sun as I ever flew. Okay. Um, uh, other than winning some pre releases and so forth along the way. Well, um,
1: for for those who missed it. Uh, Wizards of the Coast will be di- discontinuing the Planeswalker Points program, which isn't really shocking. Uh, but they are discontinuing all access to all match histories from the course of Magic. From all of Magic, they're discontinuing the access to all of the match history forever. Like, it's just all disappearing. And people are, unsurprisingly, not too happy about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think your, you know, your ire about that is going to be in direct proportion to how long you've been a magic player and how important the Duelist Convocation International, uh, the DCI, as it were, uh, and your early assignment of a DCI, a six-digit DCI number, or uh, for very few people at their five-digit DCI number, has become a part of your, you know, personal magic history and culture. Um There's been enough of an outcry this week that I'm not 100% convinced that either Wizards or a third party isn't going to take up the torch and make sure that this data is preserved. Um, But, I mean, Planeswalker Points is no loss. It was a program with a ship without a rudder that never made any sense. It sounds like where we're headed is that your Wizards account digital is going to... Start capturing data from the paper side of things, and I and including LGS level tournament software in a in a new iteration, and that's starting to get sort of close to what we asked for a couple of times on this cast, where I was proposing a kind of total life cycle software product that would track everything we do in the in the magic uh, economy, um, you know, sales made at the LGS level all the various tournaments we play both on and offline promotions that we've participated in, how we've reacted to those. That's a gold mine from a marketer's perspective. Um, and if they connect it to a bunch of free cards, you know, bring back, um, you know, promos for activity, then there's, it would be a fair trade off, I think, because I mean, that data is not, uh, is private, but not particularly dangerous. Um, other than in the sense that it helps Wizards figure out how to take more money out of your wallet. So I guess it just depends on how, how much you think that's dangerous.
1: The introduction of any of those programs would be, of course, excellent. Uh, we would love to see that, as w- willing consumers and capitalists that we are. Uh, but, you know, that's sort of beside the point. It's yeah, all, all those programs were great. Maybe they'll put them in, maybe they won't. I don't know. But it's just staggering to see Wizards take uh, what are we at? Thir- 30 years? Right? I'm 20. 20- Matt Ma- Masters 25 was like last year, or the year before. So, like 26 years or something like that of magic history and just it's gone. Just snap it away. Um, we know, I know, I did see there are some tools out there that allow for scraping the website and access, you know, get, getting a hold of your match data. People have been using that. It, I mean, someone might undertake the effort to try and drag all of it out before access goes down. Wizards might change their tune after seeing how angry people are online to make that available for a longer period of time or permanently. But it's just yet another staggering, staggeringly bad decision um, out of a company who seems incapable of making a good decision that involves anything with a power switch um, and more... Short sighted profit seeking. Like it seems so wild to me to discontinue your engagement with the last 20, you know, the history of the 26 years of the game. And I, you know, I've been playing on and off since revised, but I, my match history doesn't start until Zendikar. That was when I registered for the DCI, which, you know, comparatively is not all that long ago. Um, you know, there's nothing special about that. I'm just, and I, I have no matches that I, I particularly care about having access to. It's just, it's just staggering to see them. It's just like, like just burning goodwill for no reason. I mean, I really just, I just don't get why they would make such a serious PR blunder for, it's just an unforced error, essentially.
0: Well, it's hard to hard to know how much, it, I suspect that this is a decision that was made pre-COVID, and, and is now trickling out, but if it wasn't, I mean, something cutting expenses is would make a lot of sense, coming top down. In During the COVID period, because every major company is facing, you know, challenges financially. And this is the kind of thing where they're like, does it make any money? No. Okay, what what does it do? It's just old results. Do we use them for anything? No. Do the players? Not really. Are they going to be pissed? Yeah, probably, but they'll get over it. Okay, well, we, we've we made a 100 decisions like that in the last five years. And up until COVID, we were still making more money hand over fist than we ever have before. So... We're just going to keep doing these things that supposedly piss people off, but probably just keep us front front of mind because players are talking about us constantly. Um, it's tricky. Like, it can't be that expensive to maintain the DCI. If it was me and I knew that I was looking to leverage a more advanced modern system anyway, I would keep the data and use it to seed the process of getting all the rest of it running. This. First of all, from a marketer's perspective, knowing which tournaments you played in when and mapping that against product releases and doing some other data mining like that probably has more value than they're giving credence to. And my guess is that they haven't mined that data to the extent that they could have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know to what extent it's a fumble, but it feels like one.
1: Well, I mean, right. Like how, how much could it possibly cost to leave a couple servers with this data up online accessible via a web portal for people to go look up, right? Like that's gotta be like virtually nothing for a company of wizard size to leave up servers with that data that can handle, you know, what a couple thousand requests a day. I mean, that's there's, it's probably not getting any more traffic than that, if that, and that it's just, it's, it's, it's like free. And it just like, it would cost you nothing It's virtually nothing to maintain this, but it makes everyone very angry if you take it away um, and you, the, the whole like, well, it doesn't make us any money and it costs us money, so we should get rid of it is is a, such a flat way of looking at it because, you know, there are a couple of other players who've spoken more at length uh, and with with more experience about how Magic's competitive history, their long competitive history is one of the best assets they have. And we've talked about how, you know, their long standing history is what sets them apart from other tcgs and they you know leveraging that and and embracing the the physical nature of the game rather than the digital nature is is what makes them special and how they just keep seem to keep turning their back on it over and over so it's it's yeah you know, it just seems like it costs them so little and it's potentially so valuable um i just i don't understand how they come to this decision really
0: yeah the uh, the great Kai Bude was pointing out on twitter today that Looking over some of his previous match results, he could see major events where the software just didn't seem to know who he played against in final rounds of things, like leading into top eights. And he said, like, I remember, like, that this person and this person were definitely known pros and not nobodies who didn't turn in the match slips. And given the nature of the event, that data should have been there. And apparently the answer to why that data has degraded is that people that didn't, there was a certain point where you had to switch over from your old DCI account to the Planeswalker point system. And if you didn't do it in a certain period of time, they basically dumped your data. Huh. So so a large portion swath of this data is already gone. People just haven't noticed. Which is,
1: yeah, I, which was also a, a decision they would have made back then. Um, and Helen was in charge back then too, right? Like she was the.
0: Well, she was certainly in charge of organized, organized play. play. I don't, I don't know if this, if this was a project under organized play's mandate or not. I, it seems like it would be. Hmm. Yeah, I just, all of this
1: just seems to be handled wrong at every turn, essentially. Like, I can't, it's hard to think of a good decision they've made in regards to any of this type of
0: information. What little, what little event, what decisions we've seen them make all seem bad. It's not the only decision we're going to call into question this evening. Uh, Want to tell us a little, little bit about what's going on over here?
1: Yeah. Uh, What's going on is uh, I'm glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign
0: up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on discord and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby mdg fast finance is proudly sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock including all the best in magic the gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles use the promo code finance five that's the number five during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save five percent off your order and support this podcast uh how are we structuring our show this week in the plague times part four or five
1: Oh, is it only four or five? It's been like six weeks, hasn't it? Been a while. Yeah. Uh, I
0: don't know. I've, I've completely lost track of days at least three times in the right. last month. And do you see that bit
1: that the Cleveland news station does? No. Uh, it's like a weather station or it's like, the, it's like a weather report. They're like, and now it's time for our what day is it segment? And like the weather guy just walks out and goes, it's Wednesday. And then walks back to his desk because people can't keep track of what day it is. Um... Yeah, segment one, our MTGO metagame week in review. We have modern pioneer and standard events from the last couple days to take a gander at. Segment two, our top paper movers, the cards and paper that have bumped the most in price this past week. Segment three, our MTGO movers, the same concept. Segment four, our topic of the week, the Wired article about MTG Finance this week featuring uh, yours... One of, I guess not yours truly, one of our hosts and not featuring the (laughs) other extremely bitter host about it. Um, (laughs) Segment five, the uh, MTGO cards to watch. We have one on the radar this week. And finally, segment six, our paper cards. So let's get started here up at the top. uh, You've got the modern event listed first, so we'll jump in right there. Uh, Firing off the top with a... Tron build here, and I am seeing no companion. Yeah, I know.
0: <clears throat> Whenever you look at a constructed list in Magic, as of right as of the last couple of weeks, the first thing you do is check the sideboard to see which companion it's running, and if it's not, you're immediately surprised. And if there was any bigger flag needed to know that we are in bad decision making territory, uh, I you know I think that's it. It's I suspect that Lurus of the Dream Den is putting up numbers on Magic Online that are superior in, sense of domin- in, in a sense of dominance uh, to Oko's. Not in total number of copies played, because Lurus in many cases is a, is a one-of in the sideboard. But certainly in number of decks that are top aiding or winning using Lurus. And it looking like the dominant deck in pretty much every constructed format simultaneously. Oh yeah. And so we're talking. I don't know about standard, but we're certainly talking about Pioneer, Modern, Legacy, and Vintage, all being like all about Luris.
1: I, I, I am of. I suspect that it, you're or you're probably correct there that it is. With with sufficient hindsight and flexible metrics, will probably be considered. Better than Oko, who was already the best Planeswalker ever printed. Um, And I I, I would wager you could make the claim, after all this is over, that Lurus will be the best magic card printed since Alpha. Like, (laughs) out of cards that were not printed in Alpha, he is the best card ever printed. Um, It may come down to that. And you look at people like Zvimashowicz, who are, you know, like intelligent and a level you know sort of out of reach of most of us and his initial response to companions was these are awful and we'll ruin the game of magic and you know today he's like so i underestimated companions for as bad as i thought they were going to be they're worse than that uh, and yeah. you know him and sam black have been talking about them on and off and it's just unbelievable how ludicrous these cards are
0: yeah so i guess i i mean i guess this this Tron deck, uh, Eldrazi Tron, uh, maybe just goes over the top uh, of the other things that are going on in the format right now. It doesn't take too long to get deeper in the in the modern uh, results, though, to find some companions. Second place was uh, Bant uh, Planeswalkers. This is Jace the Mind Sculptor, Big and Little ice Icefang Quaddles. Uh, side note: Icefang Quaddle foils are sold the hell out. Uh, good luck getting your hands on some under fifty bucks at this point. I think there's four listings left on TCG and who like, where are you going to resupply those? Uh, there isn't a foil per pack in modern horizons. No. <laughs> so you're, you're not going to have an easy time resupplying. Uh, Good luck with that. And and this is, you know, there is some inventory missing uh, from the internet these days. That's true. And some of that may come to the forefront when, you know, the economic situation improves and people leave their homes but I have a feeling Ice Fang is one of those cards that it's, it's just so good in Modern, so good in Legacy, uh, and also incredibly playable in, in EDH, that those foils are probably going to post up in the 50 to $100 range for a good long time. For what it's
1: worth, I don't think that there are that many copies missing online. I, I believe that the inventory is reduced, but I don't think, unless you have numbers to back it up, I wouldn't bet that it's more than 20%. Yeah,
0: I, I don't have hard stats on that. Uh, as of yet, I, I can tell you that from my personal experience on eBay this week, where I've I've been preemptively refunding almost everybody I sent packages to in early and mid April, um, trusting them to pay me once they arrive on the basis of things being one, two, three weeks late. Um, that the U.S. border is looking like a black hole right now. Um, USPS has put out information that uh, that you can look up on their website that basically locks out a pretty large swath of countries. Most of the countries you're more likely to be dealing with as a magic uh, player or vendor um, are still on the supposedly safe list, but may still be experiencing major delays. Um, The postal system, of course, is also in jeopardy in the US currently. And then in other countries like Canada, our postal system is, you know, strongly unionized. And that union is (laughs) all too happy to say, listen, like, we have work on the floor that requires 138 people, but social distancing standards. So we have 42 people on the floor. So we are days and days and days and days behind processing, and we're not releasing any information about when things can be expected to pick up. So somebody else told me that in Portugal, which, you know, a Portuguese vendor that's fairly prominent on MCM was telling me in our Discord today that um they usually consider their postal system to be very reliable and they went to make a complaint about something that hadn't landed and they were just told like we're not accepting complaints period right now
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, if you don't like the delivery standard stop dropping off packages we uh we are not accepting packages or complaints yeah so I, so i'm basically looking at you know hundreds to low single digit thousands in just total write offs stuff that gets sent out and who knows what percentage of people will be honest enough to uh to volunteer to pay for stuff after I've already refunded it. My eBay accounts will also be in jeopardy. Like I'll have to have conversations with eBay about, you know, this is beyond my control. And I suspect that they will not go super well because eBay's reps tend to be rando people overseas that have little to nothing to do with the company and are just operating off a script. So good luck getting somebody on the phone that will actually have some kind of uh, empathy uh, that is worth applying to. Uh, The situation of all the people that are kind of in no man's land with the postal system.
1: Yeah, I guess your angle there is uh, they're going to have a a lot. You would imagine a lot of calls from different eBay
0: sellers who are all kind of in the same boat. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that if USPS just shuts down, that obviously eBay is going to have to step up and do something. But in the current situation where the information coming out of the various postal networks is very limited, like, they're not really copying to what's going on. And it, some people have told me they have no problems. Like, they've sent stuff from state X to state Y, and it arrived completely on time. Other people have said, nope, I sent, like, Texas to Cali, and it was easily two weeks late. Somebody in Canada told me that they, they had a package that should have taken three days, take three weeks. Um, so it's tricky to navigate all of that. Um, but bottom line is this. Sending stuff out is definitely taking risk and so i would imagine that there are people that are aware of that there are certainly people in our discord who have who have taken their tcg stores offline for some period of time or have been much more tentative about what stuff they're willing to list like only listing high-end items that they know they can track and ensure properly um and so certainly some inventory is missing i don't know exactly how much uh but again things like ice fang are are Even if inventory appears later, it's appearing so far after the fact of the new price memory setting in, that it's going to be difficult to attack. Yes. Okay. I would agree with that. And and the other part of it is that, let's say that economies loosen up over the next three months. Um, You know, the governments of the world, uh, to varying degrees, are probably going to sacrifice some people's health to avoid taking on massive debt. And... But even the places that are doing that are probably still going to ban large gatherings. So being able to drop off a buy list at a magic fest in 2020 is looking like slim to none chances.
1: Yeah. I, I'm operating on the assumption here that there will be like, you just have to assume you can't do anything with essentially any groups of people or possibly at all in 2020. Um, I, you know, several, I've had, I know of one wedding that's been canceled um, from July. The other one that I know of that's in September, I think, is probably going to get canceled any day now because the odds of even if the countries open up and people are allowed to circulate come September, you know, come October or, you know, August, September, October, I don't expect that you'd want to have an event in that environment in that climate it's still going to be a concern people are still going to be worried about it even if you have them it'll result in people being extremely uncomfortable at those events like you're going to see a major drop off in in attendees because people are going to be concerned about that uh so what there uh it was in the news that some governor or something like that was talking about having as i go after all this is over we're going to have a big ticker tip take Ticker tape parade down the central street of our city to you know thank all of the first responders and you know medical staff and essential workers and uh, it's which is really staggering because there was the Spanish flu which I'm sure you've heard allusions to back in uh, 1918 which was similar to this um, another poorly named disease because it didn't start in Spain but after the Spanish flu wrapped they supposedly wrapped. I think it was New York city had a big parade to celebrate the end of it. In which case there was a massive resurgence in the disease because all of those people crammed onto the city streets resulted in it spreading again. So my point being is that if we get into July and you know, states open up and have unfettered events, and there is a a big event, you're going to have something like a GP or some convention, and suddenly there's going to be a ton of new cases because it broke out at that event. And you're going to go right back to door slam people being afraid to go to events because like, I don't care if the state says it's legal. uh, Clearly, I am going to get this if I go. So, yes, no one's going to any GPs.
0: (laughs) It's going to be super tricky. So, I mean, the people running online buy lists are going to be pretty important and it remains to be seen whether the LGSs will be able to stabilize pending, you know, when people are actually allowed to play at them. And all it's going to take is one big story to break about how ex-local LGS results in a second wave of COVID breaking out in a state (laughs) to shut them all back down again. Yeah. So... And, uh, back to this modern and, super qualifier yeah, from April kind. 25th. <laughs> Fair. Um, I can complain about this for a while. We've got Affinity back on the radar because Affinity decks tend to run permanents of two casting and costs or less, just like that black-white deck in Pioneer. So, of course, they are another Lurus of the Dream Den deck. They are neither black nor white. In fact, they basically just run colorless and green, but pretty easy to splash Lurus if you need to. Uh... One of the interesting innovations here is I'm seeing copies of the Ozolith pop up. Uh, the third place list had one Ozolith in the main alongside four hardened scales, but the sixth place list had four Ozolith in the main.
1: That's, that's a commitment to that. I mean, I would have expected one to three. I, I, a full four is surprising. I wouldn't have guessed that many.
0: Yeah, so some other cards that are back on the radar, Hexdrinker is showing up as a four of in the Jund lists that are making up the, I think the most played deck on Magic Online for Modern right now is Lurus Jund, and Hexdrink is a four of there, and Tarmogoyf is back on the menu as a four of. Uh, Liliana of the Veil is completely off the menu because it's a three drop permanent, Um, so there's, there's quite the shakeup going on of what cards matter. And it's very interesting because if you chase the trend on magic online by buying related cards in paper, uh, at like old price tiers, I think you're going to be very disappointed because by the time we get around to paper mattering for these formats, again, these metas could be whispers in the wind. Um, very easily Lurus could catch a ban from in modern here. Uh, and I wouldn't want, if anything, I would be looking to say, scoop Lily Lowe, low, as we'll talk about later.
1: Yeah. I have, um, you know, I have a card on my list this week that's a pick because of this, but you know, it comes with a caveat of like, I don't know when and if wizards will ban cards. So I like this assuming there isn't a ban, but if there is a ban, then all bets are off. Uh, but more on that later, you know, in the meantime, Hex Drinker is great with Lurrus, obviously, because it's a one drop for levels up. Um, there's an old favorite of ours in here as well. I see Groom Flare showing up as a four of, which had, nope. had fallen away fallen away in popularity a little bit. And is now seems to be more popular than he was. And Cabal Therapist, first time I've actually seen that card, I think.
0: I'm sure it's been around before, but I don't remember seeing it prior to this. I mean, there's a ton of specs in this fourth place Uh, creature combo deck. I'm sure I have some foil Vizier Remedies kicking around, some foil Walking Ballistas, some Hex Drinkers, Giver of Runes, uh, Dustwatch Recruiter Foils, some Eladomri's Call. Probably have a bunch of Finale of Devastations sitting around. (laughs) By all means, let this deck still exist when paper resumes. Yeah, it would be... Like, you kind of hope this stuff will be there
1: uh, because of the opportunities it could present, but at the same time...
0: Doesn't seem like it would be good for magic. Well, I mean, creature com. This creature combo is running Lurus, but they don't need it. Like this deck will still. It's unclear whether Jund will still be a thing without Luris. It's unclear whether Affinity will still be a thing without Luris. Like, is Affinity plus Ozolith good enough in Modern without Luris? No idea. I I haven't played any Modern lately, so I just don't have the insight. Um, we'll need to track that down as things progress. But the creature combo deck hasn't has been around getting better and better as it gets more and more overlapping pieces over the last few years so I have confidence that that will exist the dredge deck that finished seventh year largely doesn't care <laughs> about companions because if they go off properly they're going to kill you anyway right yeah they, they're they one of the few decks that gets to operate essentially before companions matter yeah I mean the the, the major downside to the dredge deck is their vulnerability to uh, graveyard removal and the cheapness of that in the format, uh, Lurus is also vulnerable to specific forms of of uh, hate, uh, namely Grafdigger's Cage, which we will see pop up on our Movers list this week. And then, yeah, you're seeing those grim flares, Cabal Therapist. There's another Modern Horizons card um, showing up. Uh, you know, if you if you want to do things with Lurus, and in this case, the eighth place deck was more of a green black list than a gender list, um, but they still are. Retrofitting the entire premise of the archetype to make sure everything fits on the Luris plan. Mm-hmm. He's really making his impact felt, and it's one of those cards that it's,
1: it it doesn't have to be the most played to be the most important or most most powerful or most impactful card that we've seen printed in a very long time, if ever, because you know most of the decks are only playing one copy, but it's dramatically changing the decks that aren't even that aren't playing it because they have to know they're going to be facing Luris decks.
0: Yeah. So five of the top eight were Luris decks and they were three or four different archetypes between them. And then the ninth place deck was a Luris deck. The 10th place deck was a Luris deck. uh, 11th was a Yorion deck. um, Basically a 80 card version of Uro Urza. Mm Mm-hmm. And then that. the green red uh, deck that was already doing well with Magus of the Moon and Season Pyromancer, um, they get to run Obosh the Prey Piercer because they're on the one three five plan. Mm-hmm. So they get Obosh every every game, turning everything into double damage. Which is, I mean, your own little personal wrath furnace of wrath. There is pretty nasty. Yeah. And and your your lightning bolts do six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> seems seems fine. I don't know. What do you think? Is that good? Yeah, that seems pretty good. Uh so yeah, I mean Luris absolutely everywhere. And when it's not Luris, it's either Obosh or Yorian to a, a slightly lesser extent. Yeah, it looked like
1: um and I, I saw Sam and Z talking some more about some of the other companions and they're like well, I could play Lutri, but I started to build Lutri and realized I should just be playing Yorion. So it doesn't even seem like we're going to get to
0: see a good mix of them. Well, I mean, I think we're going to see four or five of them of the 10. And we already know that I think six or seven at last count have, have top eight at something. Um, So it's tremendous dominance for the mechanic right out of the gate, as we talked about last week. Now, over in Pioneer on the super qualifier on the 25th, uh, it was actually a underworld breach deck that took uh, took the tournament. No no companions to be seen. These combo decks seem to be, you know, in position to go over the top of the grind you out Lura strategies. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see more of them. You know, both, both Tron and combo are in good position to deal with mid-range decks. Well, none um, of the. Sorry, finish your thought. Go ahead, and,
1: and none of the companions are very quick. There's no, you know, one, there's no goblin guide companion. They all, you know, the cheapest that we have, I guess, is Loris, right? Essentially at three. You, you, but even him, you're probably not going to play at three because you need enough cards in your graveyard to make casting him worth it. So the you know the the feature of the companion is that it guarantees that you always draw this card on roughly turn four to six somewhere in that ballpark but decks like the underworld breach strategy the hidden strings lotus field deck don't care about turns four five and six they don't care about giving you the extra card yeah, on turn five, because they just want you dead before that. And it's that idea of like, uh, what was it, virtual card advantage, I think, that Tom Ross wrote about on Star City years and years ago, where he's like, I don't care how many extra cards my opponent draws over the course of the game, if they never get to leverage those cards because they're already dead then those cards I drew were worth nothing. And the 10 cards that I had and played over the course of the game are worth more than the, you know, seven that they played essentially because the extra five in their hand were irrelevant. So that's essentially how these combo decks are going to approach these companions is I don't care if you get to draw an extra card on turn five because I'm going to kill you before then. So I think that's what we're going to end up with is you're going to see combo decks and companion decks and it doesn't seem like there at the moment there's too much room in between
0: yep and i mean over in pioneer of course we have the underworld breach in first and then we got the it's not really a jund build but it's certainly a a build where lurus was flagged early on to snap right in here the black white sram uh enchantments deck uh finished second and third and then fourth was a yorian deck Uh, basically blue-white control with uh, Heliod Suncrowned combo uh, with Walking Ballista, Baffling Ends, Four Elspeth Conquers Death, which is a card on the rise, uh, Fort Teferi Time Raveler, Arcanist Owls, Charming Prince, all sorts of action. Basically, lots of things with come into play abilities that Yorion will give you massive value off of um, out of that protected 8th card slot. Uh, The black-white deck was also in fifth, and then sixth was the the same Underworld Breach deck that finished first. Seventh was uh, pretty interesting. It's a Fires deck in Pioneer with 17 blue-white-red Planeswalkers. So Chandra Awakened Inferno, Elspeth Sun's Champion, Gideon of the Trials, Jace Architect of Thought, Narset of the Ancient Way newly out of icoria narset parter of veils and big and little teferi forfay of wishes deafening clarions drawn from dream supreme verdict and then a bunch of uh Jeskai control cards on the back of fires of invention this is an extension of fires concepts from standard uh making their way into into pioneer and make leveraging Urion yet again in a completely different show This is is
1: a fun-looking deck. Heavy, very heavy on the Planeswalkers, obviously. Uh, I don't really know. I guess it's just a Planeswalker control deck. I don't really know what else to make of it other than does It does
0: a couple of things. It's Fires of Invention, leveraging the fact that the Planeswalkers are all 3, 4, 5, 6 casting cost. So you're getting some big stuff down uh, under Fires. But it's also leveraging the fact that a lot of the War of the Spark Planeswalkers tick down but don't tick up. So you're a Teferi Time Raveler. You're going to bounce something, draw a card. Narsiparter of Veils, look at top four for a minus two, put a card in your hand. And when you're done with all of that, uh, you Yorion and reset them and, and start it all up again. And the over, the card advantage just becomes completely overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah, the...
1: That works. I, I, you know, the... Yeah, because the, the, the static abilities are good. I'm just thinking about planeswalkers in general over here and rambling. Doesn't really, not really saying anything important. But uh, <laughs> hmm.
0: so, so the eight, eighth place deck was another Underworld Breach. So basically, yeah. this top eight was dominated by Yorion, Luris in the form of the Black White deck, which seems to be the agreed upon best your uh, Luris shell, um, or, or at least perhaps the only the Maybe just the most obvious and and new uh, approaches will emerge. But it's, again, unclear given the dominance of this card, how long it's going to survive. And there's been lots of conjecture about whether Wizards will try to dodge banning the entire mechanic by just changing the rules. We touched on that a bit last week. And one of the options is that the card does not start in your sideboard, that the companion starts in your hand. So your hand is bigger, but at least it can be attacked with discard. Yeah. Uh, and for the record, I don't... I We talked about it
1: last week. I don't imagine that's what the answer will end up being. But uh, I think it's a novel approach, at least. To say that.
0: So over in Standard, on the challenge that just happened yesterday, this was uh, on Monday, uh, we see of Oven Corvold deck in first. No big surprise. The deck's been a powerhouse for a while. And... Uh, They're not running any... Yeah, they don't have a companion. Uh, But they don't need it, (laughs) because that engine is very well-tuned at this point. They did get a couple of little upgrades uh, in the form of being able to run two Heartless Act. Uh, So they're still well-positioned, it seems. Mono Blue deck in second place. uh, Also not running a companion. This is uh, Brazen Borrowers, Brineborn Cutthroats, Hypnotic Sprite, Sea Dasher Octopus... Um, one of the only mutates that you can flash in, if not the only. Uh, spectral Sailors, Stonecoil Serpents, and then some Counter Spells and Card Draw Spells. So kind of like a, a Mono Blue Sky strategy, finishing second in Standard. Uh, in third place, you've got a Yorion deck. This is uh, Bant Planeswalkers, Narsets, Tamios, Teferis, and then they get to do things like ramp up into. Uh, pulling Uro back out of the graveyard or casting Agents of Treachery. Um, They've got Elspeth Conqueror's Death, Omen of the Sea, and Shark Typhoon is looking like a serious card uh, at minimum for standard. Uh, The ability to cycle end of turn, get a big uh, shark token with flying into play, and draw a card uh, is looking very useful in mid-range and control strategies. Uh, Yeah, I'm not
1: terribly surprised by that. It's a good card for control strategies where it's it's useful as you're looking for something else to do sort of in the process and then quite good later on um as sort of a finisher so it reminds me of uh decree of angels essentially
0: yeah 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 which i'm sure Uh, is on purpose decree of angels is that the name yeah you said this, you're talking about Decree the Sharknado Angel- card, right? Yeah, but I don't, is that the actual name of the card? I know the card you're talking about, but I don't know if it's called Decree of Angels. Oh, uh, J- Justice. Decree of Justice, sorry. That made angels. Yeah, no, No, sol-
1: yeah, made angels and soldiers, yeah.
0: Right. So fourth place was a Fires of Invention deck. This one, uh, new cards. This is mostly Kenrith Fires as it's been come to be known in Standard recently. Uh, Only new additions are a single copy of Narset of the Ancient Way and the Jeskai Triome um, seeing play. And then fifth place was more of a Bant control strategy Yorion style again. And then Sixth place was Luka Coppercoat Outcast in a Jeskai build where you're trying to get Agents of Treachery or Winota Joiner of Forces into play alongside some early humans and then go to town. This is a pretty interesting build. This is basically a new archetype that is Ikoria enabled in the form of having access to Winota and Luca. That is a fun looking deck. I... I mean,
1: activating your Luca with the goal of hitting Winota is well. I guess you're not though, because it's you have too many creatures to be to be playing this as a sneak attack. Hmm. I don't know if I like. It's not. I guess this isn't a uh, this isn't a Luca deck. I guess. I want like, but it's because it's only playing the two, and it's not really playing it as a sneak attack
0: either. Basically, all your creatures are value. Yeah. You got Agents of Treacheries, Bonecrusher Giants, Brazen Borrowers, Charming Prince, Fibble Thip, and Winota. So whichever of Luca's abilities you use, it leans into that premise. Yeah.
1: So just like guy value that happens to play Luca. Okay. I started looking at this. I'm
0: like, oh, they're playing uh, through the Breach deck, but like not really. So Kenrith Fires was seventh and uh, again, eighth. So, Fires decks doing a lot of work in both Standard and Pioneer, more so in Standard than Pioneer. Um, between Korvold and Kenrith, that seems like the axis of activity for Standard at present. Okay, and Lutra, L- Luris, and Luris, still plenty of that. Yeah, well, it wasn't really. There's no Luris decks in the top eight of the Standard event. Uh,
1: oh, twelfth place was the first one. Okay. I might have got. I might have been looking at the pioneer list too. I'm jumping between.
0: There, there's I'm a Yorion. Sure. There are Yorion builds.
1: Yeah. Oh, Yorion, but, but no yeah, yeah Yeah. So, which is interesting because we're we're hearing about how problematic the com- companions are, but it seems so f- far like they're not not terrible
0: for standard. You're you're at third and fifth yeah but but here's the thing, and here's how I think we arrived at companions being a problem. Marrow has confirmed on social media not so long ago that they don't really test for anything outside standard and and limited, and that they consider anything that's good enough for standard to likely not be a problem in older formats and that right there is the premise that is leading them astray because that's completely wrong they need to be they need to have people testing for at minimum pioneer. And really, they should do at least a modicum of testing for Modern and, and Legacy to have a sense of what whether they want to still release the card in the same form. Their, their approach over there is probably that Legacy doesn't really matter anymore. Modern, we're, we're planning on replacing with Pioneer. But even if, if that's the case, they need a dedicated testing team for Pioneer so they can keep the, the format that's supposed to draw people away from Modern and Legacy as healthy as they possibly can. Luris is a great example of where this strategy goes wrong because Luris needs gets better and better the higher the power level of your format is because that brings the cost of the permanence in your deck down to the bare minimum it's why lurus and black lotus is just completely ridiculous and then it gets less ridiculous as you go back through other formats and you end up at pioneer where you're recursing uh, uh voltroned black white creatures that have a bunch of enchantments on them and then if somebody manages to kill that creature you basically just bring it back and do it all over again the lurus in a vacuum is just a good card a strong value engine but lurus in decks that have things like mishra's bobble or black lotuses or whatever it is that's going to do be really powerful in the mid to late game but still only cost one or two mana like a death shadow is a good example if you're not testing that because those things those that context doesn't exist in standard, then that's how you miss Lurus and let it out the door as is.
1: Well, I think Loris as a card is completely fine. Loris as a companion is the issue. You know, yep. this was not. This is not about the power level of the cards. It's about the power level of the mechanic.
0: Um, which is yeah, really I'm, I'm curious to what extent Loris would see play in standard and pioneer without being a companion. Oh,
1: I, I think it would be close to zero. I think the cards, enti- that's the thing is the companions are just sort of mediocre cards, but they're mediocre cards that you are guaranteed to draw every single game. And it doesn't really cost you much to have done that. Sure. That's the problem. Uh, also, I was wrong. I went back and looked. It's all of those fires decks are Karuga, which I forgot about. So companions are actually in like seven of the eight top eight top decks. It's just not Lurus. It's Yorian and Karuga in standard.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fourth place deck, the Fire's deck, was Karuga. and So basically all the Fire's decks are running Karuga as their as their companion. Good catch. Yeah, because like, why wouldn't you, right? Like, you already were playing very few
1: low-cost permanents, so you just make sure they're Bonecrusher Giant and Brazen Borrower, and
0: you're now at zero. I've played against Karuga several times in Ikoria Limited and it's <laughs> plenty intimidating. You you hear the footsteps of your imminent demise when you see the companion pop up at the start of the game and you're just like, oh, <laughs> all right, they're not going to cast anything till turn three because they're on Karuga. But if I don't kill them by turn five, we're in big, big trouble. You're looking at the you know the five drop or the six drop in your hand.
1: As you hear their companion, you're like, "Oh, nope, not one in this game.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a tough format if you don't have access to a companion, that's for sure. You can it's relatively easy to get to like four, three or five, three on arena, but if you want to be six, three or seven three, guaranteed you've got a companion or a bunch of big bombs. Yeah, and they're all rares, right? Uh, well, the the bombs like the dra- the Godzilla dragons and stuff are often mythics. Like there's the the tricolor ones. Those are those can sometimes be your saving grace. Um, uh, and sorry, some I of the really conf- some of the really great like if you have a well honed version of an archetype, you can also get there. Like the red white cycling deck or Jeskai cycling decks, when they're properly built and have access to at least two solar flares, can combo kill you from like out of nowhere. Yeah, I was watching a Ken- I I Kenji stream last night where I think he was at like four life facing down five creatures on the other side of the board one of which he had pacifismed and he had a solar flare in hand drew into the second one checked his uh, graveyard he hadn't dealt a single point of damage yet and sure enough he's got 10 cy- single mana cyclers already in his yard so he solar flares into their turn solar flares his turn and it's over. <laughs> i did
1: catch that the pros were saying like either you have a companion or you force a red white cycling deck and you yeah. win either way um but i meant the companions are rare though right yes like the all companion, the companions are yes, rare companions, so like it companions seems, are rares, Yeah, seems very possible that you could just not see a companion or well, you see a companion like in pack three where it's way too late to audible
0: well you're gonna see three rares and there's like whatever 50 rares in in the set. So you're going to see in in the first pack you have a 20% chance of of 20% chance 10 companions, 50 rares. Yeah, you have like a 20% chance of catching a companion in pack 1. Which so is... they, they they come up often enough and and I'm I'll tell you, it's real I have yet to play at the 6373 3 level and not play against a companion. mm
1: mm-hmm. Mhm. That's what I mean is They've I, always... I
0: just I wonder how many people like if you open a pack and you don't have a
1: companion or a bomb, are you just do you immediately go, all right, I have to force red white cycling? And then if you get to like pack pick five and you have no bomb and no companion and you can't force cycling, do you just pack it up?
0: Red red white cycling or the black white humans deck, if you can get the uh drain one enchantment in multiples. Has been pretty good for me. I've played black-white decks that basically had no bombs, but just had tons of humans, two-drop humans, three-drop humans, and two of that enchantment. And then they're in trouble, because a lot of those big the over-the-top decks, mid-rangey decks, like a Karuga deck, is looking to attack you with a bunch of like five-fives on turn nine or something and kill you. But if they kill six or seven humans in the process and get drained for 14, they're going to have problems sure sure
1: uh all right i mean i haven't played it i just you know as i listen to you guys talk about it i kind of wonder it, know, the format feels fundamentally
0: unbalanced it. but i've still had fun playing it sure all right i mean i can respect that uh, all right so moving on over to second segment top paper movers of the week we've got uh, aforementioned C- season pyromancer moving from like 10 to 13 little hope for the uh modern horizon spec brigade Uh, RG Ponzalis using Clothis still uh, making waves in modern I don't know that this deck uh, would have been likely to keep showing up in top 8s if Obosh hadn't slotted in so nicely into it Um, but it let you know it was already a good deck and they get to go toe to toe with other companions with a solid companion of their own so uh, I have have hope for the green red deck and paper uh, assuming that people get out of the house sooner rather than later um Avison Angel of Hope uh first printing was an Avison restored saw some movement on this this week from say 35 to $50. It's in 11000 EDH decks but I'm suspecting that this got targeted as people have been noticing that some of the cards that were already in, had been out of print for a little while and didn't have super deep supply might have been mythics might have been promos have been relatively easy to mop up in a situation where buy lists can't replenish very easily. Um, Most of the buy lists in the country are shut down. Um, A lot of inventory is offline. We don't know how much, but definitely some. And uh, so that, and GPs don't exist. So, you know, the people that would have been dropping off Avicens to replenish supply of Avacyns aren't necessarily present in the market right now. So not tremendously uh, surprised to see a card like this on the move.
1: No. And I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's very popular and EDH has been for a very long time. Uh, it's it's that's, that's what's gonna happen, I suppose. I'm just not sure if you'll get to move them in any reasonable time frame.
0: Would be my biggest concern here. Yeah, I mean, it's a, any fifty to hundred dollar card. People have to see a reason to be buying it now, and I I, I question whether Avison has a hype spike that is going to see your things sell. Like I had no problem selling Decree of Silence uh, early in April that I bought at 80 cents and sold for $10. Other people reported they sold them at 14 or 15 because people are actively trying to build that Jeskai deck. They know they can't play their new commander decks, but they may as well go ahead and build them because they're going to want to play them later. And they're looking for hobbies at home anyway. But something like an Avicen You know, you might earmark it as a card you want for your EDH deck, but do you feel pressured to go get it right this second? Maybe not. Like, who knows? It could show up in Commander Legends in the fall. It's hard to say. Yeah, I... I... It seems like some of these
1: luxury cards might do well at the moment because why... Like, you're going to get your stimulus check... You're know, like, oh, I'll go buy this cool card I've had my eye on, but yeah, the more I think about it, probably not because why? You know why? Why spend the money on something like that right now? You can just wait and hold off, and maybe it'll get reprinted, and maybe it not, but maybe it won't. But you're probably not gonna see too much movement on a lot of these types of cards at the moment. And then well, and- instead, you're gonna spend your EDH dollars maybe like building a new deck that you've been meaning to, like one of the new commanders. Uh, because you feel like you're going to
0: get—that's something you're going to want to do regardless. Well, there's also the fact that a lot of the whales in the magic market um, are either still gainfully employed because they are essential services. You know, your programmers and engineers and what have you. People um, can work from home. Kind obviously. of people that are attracted. Sure, and and that are white collar professionals with jobs that are unlikely to let them go unless they really, really have to because getting them back is such a hassle. Like anybody who's ever had to recruit a programmer in today's day and age knows that you do not fire a programmer, a good programmer, if you don't have to. Like that's one of the last people you want to let out the door because <laughs> they're keeping your business running and replacing that, the, built up, the knowledge they've built up in the five, six, seven years they've been with you or whatever is, is not happy space. And again, they could easily just be essential services where the business is in question you know, engineering company or whatever may not have hired, fought, fired anybody because it's software companies, likewise, consumer technology certainly is challenged. I'm sure a- Apple's, you know, retail employees are having a rough time, but, you know, Amazon Google, AWS or something is, isn't firing anybody. That's for sure. Um, anybody related to internet architecture medicine, et cetera, their jobs are all safe. And a lot of those, you know, my dad's a whale who's a doctor. Those, those guys aren't even remotely thinking about even though his his uh, revenues are certainly way down, I mean he's still doing fine. Like he, he's not worrying about food. And I just sold anecdotally. I just sold a, a Judge Foil Wheel of Fortune yesterday to fi- for five hundred bucks to a member who just was completely unfazed and saw that they were draining out of the market and didn't want to have to pay six to eight hundred later. So offered me five hundred and I bit.
1: Uh, yeah, like that makes sense that, you know, some of those guys are going to have deep pockets regardless. This isn't really going to impact them. Um, but I do kind of wonder, I you know, kind of also anecdotally, I think a lot of that money goes towards people who are not necessarily super high income. They're just people who are irresponsible, essentially. So like, like out of the percentage of people that buy judge promo Avacens, what percentage of them, out of of all the people who buy judge promo Avacens, what percentage of them do you think are making like five times the poverty line? I bet
0: it's minimal just by virtue of how few people make that much money as it is. Hard to say. I'm not sure I've ever bought into the irresponsible magic players wasting money narrative because I haven't seen direct evidence to <laughs> direct evidence to support it the you know having hung out in lgs's most of my life when i've spotted somebody that seemed to not be able to afford something they weren't very rarely have i ever seen somebody in that situation like that where they were feeling compelled to buy something ridiculously expensive like a 300 play set of something most of the time they just know they can't afford that and they're looking at other options no, it's not to say that people have not made irresponsible decisions with magic cards. I just don't think there's any evidence that says that happens more often in magic than it does in, say, whatever. Shoes, eating at restaurants, play, buying video games, whatever. Um,
1: Move so, along here. Uh, so, wait, so, hold on. So your I guess your point then isn't that it's less so that magic players... Your point isn't that magic players aren't irresponsible. It's that they're no more irresponsible than the rest of the population.
0: Yeah, I would, I would expect that the proportion of credit card debt amongst Magic players is no higher versus their income than it would be in any other segment of the population. Uh, I, I
1: suppose I don't have an argument for that at the moment, but I don't think that disproves the idea that most of the people buying Abyssin' are people who probably shouldn't be then.
0: Well, I also think that there's people are probably overestimating the percentage of the Magic community when compared to money spent in terms of indicating the health of the magic economy by way of who cannot afford things that was kind of convoluted let me try it again what i'm really getting at is that the whales spend so much of are are make up so much of the magic economy that the people that are don't have tremendous disposable income deciding Oh, I can't spend my usual 60 bucks a month on magic. I'm just going to buy food because I need to eat. Doesn't really disrupt that much. The yet. Now, the longer things go on, the worse things are going to get. Um, But it's possible that a whale is the equivalent of 20 of those people. You know, like I spend... 40 50 60 000 a year on magic so as long as i'm still buying you need a lot of those people to opt out before you're gonna see Avicen's not sell
1: i don't know if you count because the way that you're spending the money is not e-
0: even y- if you, y- even if you're you're, doing... you're spending 40 grand but you're selling 40 grand sure but i'm still spending 40 grand like the, the the selling is relevant to this discussion. We're talking about how about who's buying cards. I, no, I disagree with that because the purpose for you, of you buying
1: the card is fundamentally different than the other people buying that card, for the most part. And you are essentially not trying to be a part of the. You're not trying to own the card. You're trying yeah. to be a cog in the market. But the guy down the street from me who wants to put Abbotson in his deck is looking to remove that Abbotson from
0: circulation. I'm not sure how that matters to this discussion. We're, we're talking about whether cards will sell. Whether they get sold, resold, or absorbed into the market is is neither here nor there. That what I'm saying is that if you have a pool of a million dollars worth of inventory and you want to know whether you can sell it, and 60% of the sales in the market are made up of whales who are unaffected so far by the economic situation related to COVID – then it's entirely possible that you're only seeing a dent in your sales as opposed to a complete collapse. And indeed, in talking with vendors, that's pretty much what we're hearing. And that's the kind of conversations that are happening in our Discord and have been for weeks, that sales are down, but they're not dead. And in fact, seem to have rebounded lately. And, you know, mid to high price ticket stuff it seems to be selling fine. Probably because, again, the whales are not impacted. The people that can afford $500 soul, like Masterpiece Soul Rings, are still in the market. And if anything, they're looking for a little deal. Maybe they expect a little more off to get the deal done. But until those people are facing hardship, cards will still get sold. Because again, I'd much rather be selling um, Magic cards than, say, business shirts. Because there's literally no reason to be buying one right now and it's not the kind of thing you're going to be like at home like you know what it's been a while since i bought a business shirt it's, it's been, i haven't been to work in 2 months i think i'll go ahead and get a blue docker shirt online i'll go order it on amazon much more likely that you're like i'm bored it's sunday afternoon i haven't built a deck in a while i'm going to order up an avison and put it in this deck i'm not going to play for 3 months well wow i uh i did
1: buy some clothes uh,
0: (laughs) i knew i knew you were gonna have the i knew you were gonna have the answer to this
1: in the first like two weeks in like the first two weeks and now i've stopped (laughs) Uh, i I, actually dropped some clothes off at the tailor right before all of this and they've just been sitting there the entire time they've been at the tailor for like two months now
0: um we may as well move on a lot of this is conjecture and and anecdotal evidence And it remains to be seen how things will settle. We're still relatively early going. So all of this is fascinating, but may not mean anything for eight weeks from now when the situation has, in fact, resolved. Uh, Splinter Twin out of Modern Masters 2015, going from 8 to 12. uh, It's like 2,000 decks reported on EDH rack, but I have to assume that this is somebody going in on this as an unbanned spec target. Did did we not just have an unbanned announcement that was uneventful? I, I don't, I don't believe this makes any sense like this this might actually be in relatively low supply i haven't double checked supply um pattern but i i don't see wizards making these kind of moves anytime what, soon if,
1: if you're wizards why would you unban this in modern what possible
0: reason would you have i, I don't see this card it hard legal i don't see it the it's so much more likely that we're going to see luris get banned in modern in the next two months than than it is that we're going to see unbannings of unloved combos. Yeah, I really like
1: I can't imagine what reasoning wizards would have to be like, "You know what we should do
0: is bring back Splinter Twin. Like that will make this all better." All right, let me plow through the rest of this list. <laughs> Diabolic Intent, the original copy out of Plane Shift, Planar Chaos, Planar Chaos.
1: Planar Chaos.
0: Yeah, so that's PLC, not PLS as I've got on the list here. Um, going from 16 to 24, dollars it's in 16,000 EDH decks. The Battle Bond reprint was the most noticeable, no, notable one. Uh, this first printing and most other versions have drained. There's also a Amonkhet Invocation version of this, but that's the only three versions that have ever existed. Battle Bond, of course, wasn't a super heavily opened set. Uh, Planar Chaos was like 20 years ago, and the Invocation, um, is. A masterpiece so was never in super high supply so super popular card in edh hasn't had a mainstream reprint more than once in the last 20 years not crazy surprised to see this draining out of the market uh we were wrong it is plain shift
1: oh is it because I, I was thinking of a different card yes diabolic intent was plain shift which is i think i think it is pls not that that particularly matters um, yeah, it. I remember talking about the invocation. I feel like I no, it was the battle bond. I picked playing the battle bond copy as a buy at some point. It was a while ago now.
0: In the summer, probably.
1: Yeah, look like yeah, last summer maybe. But I think and I uh, are those. So let's see. We're talking about the non-foil diabolic attempts going from sixteen to twenty-four. And yeah, TCG player, uh their staff is unionizing and their website is slowing down. So they're okay, there are three foils left and they start at forty one dollars. So the foils actually got bought out, it looks like. So we could be I, looking at the not the foil version of this on our top movers next week.
0: I feel like I have a few of these from when you called it sitting around, so I would love to put them up for sale. I'm just worried that i'm going to get zero in return when they don't make it through the postal system uh wheel of fortune at a revised uh was subject of much discussion online this week going from in theory 120 to 185 and i've got copies of this that i picked up at like 40 not so long ago um revised uh, was a fairly large print run uh, these are no more rare than say dual lands are Um, but certainly are capable of holding a high price tag. People were complaining that this is an example of why the reserve list is so ridiculous because this card is only played in EDH. So why would it be so expensive? And it's like, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Yeah, it's, but it was printed 25 years ago and there's a judge promo and that's it. And, So there's no point of resupply other than coming out of collections vis-a-vis buy lists. lists have been shut down for a while now. There's people out there trying to advance this CEDH is moving cardboard uh, narrative that I don't buy into at all. I don't believe that CEDH is taking off or anything like that. I believe that there are people that were targeting Wheel of Fortune and tried to pin it on CEDH foolishly. Um, the, The biggest impetus, real impetus lately is Zyrus. Um, one of being one of the most three popular commanders to come out of the sets around Ikoria, um, out of the commander set. Um, Zyrus, of course, wants wheel effects because it makes a bunch of snake tokens when your opponents draw extra cards. So Wheel of Fortune should be under some amount of pressure. And again, I did just sell a Judge Promo at 500 bucks that I got as a buy list exit uh, via Alpha Beta Unlimited uh, last year. So always happy to see something like that. Uh, occur but the wheel of fortune could easily slide back down to a slightly lower price tier here um, i don't think it's going to hold 200 to 250 i think it's much more likely to settle back towards 140 to 160 in the short to midterm and then enjoy a slow steady climb up over the years as again people absorb these into collections and commander gets bigger and bigger and cedh has some minor impact and so forth
1: well uh, so. I'll work backwards here. First, I do think Wheel of Fortune can sit at 200, but for virtue of being the best version of it that exists and revert, reserve list one printing, it can just keep getting better and better every time they print those types of commanders. But and even if it's out there today, it might be there end of this year, end of next year, or whatever. Uh, but I saw that mm, Saffron tweeted something about this card that brought out you know, the usual crowd. And I was feeling saucy on Sunday morning while I was eating my waffles and saw some guy be like, Oh, MTG finance decided this needed to be a $200 card. Like dude, it was already a hundred dollars been sitting at a hundred dollars for how many months? Like I'm telling you, the nebulous hashtag MTG Finance did not decide Wheel of Fortune should be a $200 card. There is like not that many copies of this out in the real world. It is like the 18th most popular red card in EDH. All, despite a $100 price tag, it's still that popular. How many people do you think want this that don't buy it because it's a 100 bucks? You know, all the kids at your local college, all the freshmen and sophomores who play Magic and, you know, scrape together change for lunch and dinner. They would love to own a Wheel of Fortune, but they can't buy one. Uh, it's just, and I was like trying to must have rewritten that tweet six times because <laughs> I wanted to be such an asshole. And I'm like, no, all right, I'm gonna try and be an ambassador here. Uh, but it's like, yeah, we don't, we don't pick, we don't pick these prices, man. If I got to pick prices on reserve list cards, let me tell you about a little card called Martin Stromgald that would cost eighty five dollars <laughs> right now.
0: You are it here, right, folks. So Martin
1: Stromgald, the best red card in EGH that you have
0: never played or heard of that Travis owns a bunch of this is true but because it's that but good Icefang Quattle foils, uh, 30 to 50 bucks. I don't see that coming down anytime soon, as we said before. Spark Double uh, foils at a War the Spark called early on. Uh, I picked up a bunch at 375 or so last summer. This is it going six to ten. It's going to post up at 15 to 20. This this is Gyruda decks and Standard Pioneer and Modern that are driving this, but it's already a super strong EDH card. So even if Gyruda falls off the radar, Spark Double is going to get there. Dark Deal foils out of uh, Fate Reforged. Pretty sure I have these in the failed spec box that now need to be pulled out um, that I would have picked up at like a dollar or two. Maybe I even have some Japanese copies from that price point. Uh, Going from 5 to $9. It's in almost 6,000 decks reported on EDH Rec, which is a respectable number uh, for a card that's less than five years old. Freed from the Real out of uh, Saviors of Kamigawa, foils going from 750 to 14, uh, 87% gains. Uh, that's definitely Zaxara infinite mana combo. Put it, slap a slap of Freed from the Real on Zaxara. She taps for two blue. You use one to untap her and you have infinite mana. Uh, Mishra's Bobble foils from Iconic Masters going from 18 to 35, almost 100% gains. That's on the back of Lurus, making Bobble the. You were talking about Luris not being that great on three. Well, if you have zero cast and cost stuff, you just Lurus, Bobble, and then dare them to have it. Uh, and if they don't, you're well on your way to Value Town. Aurelia, the Leader, out of the Guild Kits. Uh, this is the unique art foil um, going from 11 to 25. Uh, 7,500 EDH rec decks. Something like 10% of all Boros decks run this card. It should probably be higher. Um, the Guild Kits were not widely opened, and the art's pretty sweet, so... I did snap off a bunch of these at $10 in Europe this afternoon. Uh, Battle of Wits out of Odyssey foils going from $3 to $8 on the back of Urion hype in Modern, where people were th- throwing around these gigantic Battle of Wits Yorion decks that are probably more meme than they are real, uh, given how tight that format runs. I, I like the idea like, well, if I have to
1: play, normally I'm supposed to play 60, I'm going to play 80. Oh, why not 200? No, sorry. 200, 280? 200? 280. No, it's, it's two fifty 200. to win. It's two fifty to win, right? So you but you can't play a two fifty card deck that you need like two eighty or something. I it's not three hundred, it's in the twos.
0: Uh you have to have two hundred cards in your lab right. Okay.
1: So it's a two hundred and thirty card deck, realistically. Yeah. <laughs> sure.
0: I respect it. I had I, I, I
1: increased my deck size by so I might as well increase
0: it by 150%,
1: roughly, something like that.
0: Yeah. So, there's a footnote to the top paper movers this week. There was actually a ton more cards we could have put on here, but almost all of them were either from Commander 2020 or Ikoria. And the reason we didn't put them on is just because we're in a very weird situation here. Ikoria is out in North America, but only from the people that are either leaking it out or have... Uh, imported supply from overseas because in Asia um, the set was out on time. So, so many cars... And, and the Commander decks are were underprinted by 50%, I believe, is the latest word on the street. So between the Commander decks being underprinted and Icoria not being out officially for another few weeks in North America, I think the 15th of May is the release, so we're still more than two weeks out, Um, pretty much everything from those sets is too expensive. Doesn't matter to most of you because you don't have the product you've opened, you've ordered yet. But if you do have that product, what I'm saying is sell, sell now (laughs) while the selling is good to the people that apparently just have to have their Ikoria right now. Like I'm having trouble understanding anybody who's ordering Lurus at whatever price it should not be right now as a rare, um... For paper magic that they may never get to play because by the time it rolls around, their Thoris is going to be banned. Oh man, I can't
1: wait till he's banned and we get to hear from people who are so angry that Wizards banned. You know, I spent all this money on him and I didn't even get a chance to play him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm right there with with selling him for sure. Uh, and basically I mean, I everything, budget really sets. Yes, I can imagine the people who are buying them. Um, and imagining what they're thinking. And, you know, they're sitting around on Tuesday night. They, you know, have had a couple of drinks. Oh, man, I really like the look of this deck. No, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it because I think this is all going to be, you know, I'm going to go to F&M in three weeks and I, I'm going to get get ahead of it. And it'll be $70. You know, they said it's really good. I, I, I can
0: just see these guys. I, you know, I I've met enough of them to imagine
1: what they would say right
0: now. There's something to be said for you know maybe Luris doesn't catch a ban in Standard and you get to play it there at some point maybe uh, it's possible it doesn't catch a ban in Pioneer maybe I I I want to be thinking the step ahead to the things that get good again when the companions are gone <laughs> that's what I'm trying to figure out and and yeah. identifying which which companions are just not quite good enough they're they're good enough that they're going to be around and making things and selling cardboard moving other cardboard. But not so good that they'll be dominant. Luris looks too dominant. Both Yorian. Obosh, Obosh, and Yorian also seem borderline to me because of how many different places they're showing up. So we'll see. I think. Right, I think gotta, at this point,
1: it's uh, Yorian and Luris are leading the charge. But sorry, go ahead. We can carry on.
0: Yeah, we got to switch gears here and look uh, on over at the Magic Online movement, um, which of course is trending uh, a lot tight, more tightly against the online meta. Uh, fly through this stuff. Cloth has got a Destiny from Theros Beyond Death going from six to seven. It's only up a dollar, but that's a 17% gain. Um, I think when you're seeing the Theros Beyond Death stuff start to show up on these Magic Online lists, it's because it stops getting drafted. Everybody's switching over to Ikoria Draft focusing on akoria so some of the stuff that's heavier played in the rares and mythics from theros will start to rise um absorb out of uh ravnica allegiance going from 45 cents to 63 cents that's only 18 cents gain 40 percent gains uh on in paper on something like this we would basically ignore completely but on magic online if you've got a game plan a little blueprint where you're picking up 10 or 12 different cards uh at their lows you can put together baskets that are still time efficient to assemble, even if they're only cents, pennies that you're throwing out. You could be picking up something like a full playset of Mishra's Baubles and throwing in 20 or 40 cards from Theros Beyond Death. And when they quadruple or quintuple, you could be taking five bucks and turning it into 20 bucks uh, in ticks. And then rolling forward with that into something else. So it's it's still worth mentioning um, with the Magic Online economy. Grafdigger's Cage, of course, is a big deal because of Lurus. So going from $5 to $7 for about 40% uh, increase. Nethroy Apex of Death out of Ikoria is bucking the ca- the trend line. All the rares in Icoria should be crashing hard. And I learned this the hard way um, about <laughs> not Would sitting on sell? things too long. <laughs> I, I don't have a short-selling account yet. I've never short-sold on Magic Online. Um, so, but what I did do was call out that noticed I was on Twitter at the moment where wizard said, Hey, Guy Ruta is working again on magic online because they took it offline for a few days last week. And that to me was a huge buy signal because Guy Ruta had been doing a lot of work up to that point, seemed like it would probably resume doing work or people would at least think it would. So I flagged in our discord that people should run out and buy Guy Ruta's. well, people did. And then an hour later it was up. I think we were, the inn was something like seven or eight tickets, and people were out at 11 or 12 tickets or something and bailed immediately and crashed the price before I got a chance to bail. So then I watched it ride back up to 11 again, and I was like, "Whoa, if it, you know, shook that off so easily, then maybe it's 15 by tomorrow, so I'll just sleep on it. Sleep on it, it's down to basically what I bought it for. Sleep on it again, it's down to five, down to three. Down to two. And I'm like, yep, that's why you never ever wait on Magic Online. <laughs> when you have an opportunity to take home 25% plus profit same day on Magic Online, take it and run. Because the prevailing trend line for a brand new set that's being heavily opened should crush the price of almost all the rares. So it's especially interesting that N- Nethroy, Apex of Death, has moved up from two to three on the back of seeing like minor standard play. I, I saw it in like a few decks that uh, five out or something where it was a one of didn't seem like enough to justify the move. If between my,
1: uh, storied history and a couple of your dalliances, if we ever decide to rename this podcast, it will, we'll switch it from MTG fast finance to do as I say, not as I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or MDG L- lazy finance. Um, yeah, Nethroy could could be seeing a getting buoyed by commander play expanding on Magic Online. It's possible that it's getting picked up a lot there. Um, it's just not showing up in the in the deck list. Um, next on the list, we got Gruel Spellbreaker, for, also from Ravnica Allegiance, dollar dollars to 78 percent gains. There's a solid green red standard deck that's using it. Uh, Lavinia Azorius Renegade is good against a whole bunch of shenanigans in a whole bunch of formats right now. Some companion related, some not. Uh, so Lavinia went from uh, 50 I guess almost $0.60 cents to $1.10, so about 88% gains. That would have been a nice pickup if you were in early. Shadow Spear from Theros Beyond Death going from twenty cent, 18 cents, $0.18 to $0.36 cents for 100% gains. Um, that would have been a nice little pickup if you believed in it as a long-term EDH play. Um, wouldn't be the kind of thing I would normally target, but what I missed was that it's actually seeing standard and pioneer sideboard play as a way to handle hexproof and indestructible creatures. Because it can do things like turn off the Hexproof on Questing Beast. Yep. And some of the gods. Uh, Deafening Clarion is a Standard and Pioneer Fires staple. Uh, Temple of Enlightenment is blue-white control and Bant control and mid-range staples in Standard and Pioneer. Elspeth Conquers Death has showed up in Standard uh, Fires uh, and Yorion builds in Pioneer. And <clears throat> Temple went from 10 cents to almost 30. That's 200% gains for people that were in early. I've got <clears throat> had the same thought, but with uh, extended arts a couple months ago. And then Elspeth Conquers Death is something that some of our people were in on, uh, closer to 10 cents, and it's now up over 40 cents. I can see that pushing 50, to 50 cents to a dollar on Magic Online and really turning that into a, a strong gainer. Wow. Well, I know I had to read that card again
1: this week or the week prior. Because they they kept talking about it in their companion discussion, the pros, and it just seems like they all kept talking about it. So I've seen that card mentioned more this week than ever since it was printed.
0: All right, let's jump over here and talk about the Stockbrokers of Magic, the gathering play for keeps. In case you've been living under a rock, a fairly large feature article Lengthy feature article was released uh, by the tech magazine Wired, which is an international publication. And they had been interviewing folks in the Magic uh, vendor and MGG finance community for several months now, actually. It went on, started, I think, in early January, and they spent three, three, three to three and a half months putting this article together. Um, I feature fairly prominently in it. Probably because the drama around knowing things uh, ahead of time is the best <laughs> drama or the most interesting drama that the writer of the article uh, could get her hands on. Uh, you read it over. What, what was your quick take on it?
1: Well, uh, I, I would like to think that I I have a little more insight and inside. Inside ball knowledge than the average, than even than even someone listening to this cast would have. Um, you had told me I had it, you know. We, we had been talking for a couple of weeks now. You let me know that Wired was talking to you, uh, so like I, you know, I, I kind of I had formed some ideas about what might be coming in the pipeline, rather than somebody who just woke up and went, "Hey, my Twitter hashtags in Wired." Given the nature of our discussions, I thought it was reasonably even-handed. It seemed more to focus on the uh, you know, I'm going to read between the lines here, gambling addiction of one particular individual rather than anything else specifically. They definitely seem to <clears throat> want to paint some of the activi- our activities, your activities, with a little bit more of a devious brush but really seem to be lacking any concrete ammo to that effect which is because there isn't any real ammo to be had and i thought that um the scope of all of this and the severity was captured when it references the one guy hitting it big and taking his family on vacation because he made nine grand one year and i i'm kind of i've read that and i'm kind of imagining you know, someone who knows nothing about any of this, right? Like your dad or whomever, you know, who knows you play magic, maybe seeing this article and reading through it and they're like, Wow, this sounds interesting. This sounds interesting. this is a lot of money. Or, you know, imagining how much money is involved or whatever. And then they get to that sentence and they're like, What? They wrote an article over over this much money?
0: Like So, so you, I did have a I, I did have a number of amusing <laughs> conversations with some of the bigger players in the magic uh finance space and vending space, you know, people that handle hundred thousand or million dollar deals um and are actually, you know, major figures in the magic economy. And they seemed a little put out <laughs> that that the article wasn't more about them as well. And oh yeah, I don't know anything I, about that. I, I well I said to some of these people like a, I don't this is a hit piece or an attempted hit piece. I don't think you really wanted to be the center of attention here and take it as a positive that either she couldn't find or you weren't willing to cough silly enough to cough up the kind of drama that they were looking to paint this market with. The 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 sheer fact of the matter is that 99.5% of everything that that goes on in the magic economy is both a by design. It is exactly what you would expect to play out based on how the game is structured and produced, and is entirely legal, isn't even, I would argue, in the slightest bit unethical, and is mostly just vendors buying inventory and then selling inventory, and they do it by... Buying sealed product at wholesale prices and cracking it and selling it. They do it by running events. They do it by operating buy lists where they pay way less than market value. But that covers their overhead in the process of having a guaranteed outlet for the players to drop the stuff off and that the, those cards circulate in various geographic regions. And that leads to some arbitrage overseas because different regions have different preferences in terms of how they play the game. Um, One of the big benefits of the game, of course, that there's so many different ways to play it, and that that is a strong, consistent, growing, functional economic engine.
1: Now, I I, you hold hold on, I want to jump in real quick. I I could understand the someone trying to make the argument that some of this is unethical. Um, I'm not, and there are things that happen within our sphere. I think that are unethical in general. Most everything that we talk about is not, um, you know, independent of whatever, and I'm not accusing you of anything, but independent of you, I would not partake in anything that I consider to be uh, unethical. I'm not interested in that. Um, and I think that there was definitely a desire to make this sound much more devious than in reality it is. There's just, there isn't anything more devious really and well, let me rephrase that the tr- the stuff that is the most devious like the 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 real behind the scenes type of stuff that that does that that does happen no one would have talked about to a wired author
0: <laughs> so that was yeah. not going but, to make the, the really
1: juicy on. stuff is not going to be in the
0: article i i agree but but hold on i want to make sure we're talking about the same things here when yes. i said not unethical etc cetera, etc cetera, I'm talking about 99.5% of the total economic value of magic being just basic buying and selling. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm putting aside the 0.5 that I'm willing to then segue into a challenge of whether it's ethical or not. But what I'm saying is that even that 0.5, if you, if you believe it's unethical, it's such a tiny drop in the bucket. And that's one of the things that I thought, you know, Cecilia, the, the writer of this article, tried to go really hard at finding the information to make the we knew about Pioneer two days early into a big, big deal. And I I heard from some of our members that I think like Saffron was talking about it on his podcast about that they didn't go at us hard enough to outline the damage that something like that does to the average Magic player who is just completely out of the loop on all this stuff. And I, I think it's important to revisit the, the premise of whether information asymmetry equals unethical, because that's really what this article attempts to lay at our feet, in which other people have tried to lay at our feet in the past. The What they really want to be true, if you're looking at like back when Matt Sperling was trying to rake us over the coals, in many ways the article is vindicating for me, because Sperling wanted to prove that I had an inside track, that it was in fact insider trading, that for instance, I had a connection at Wizards of the Coast or something similar where I knew for a fact what was going to happen and somebody was in violation of their contract. And if I would just tell Wizards who that person was, then they could button things down and everybody would be better off because of it. That's essentially where he was coming from. The fact of the matter is that's just not the case. I think that people have trouble believing my what the how I am situated at the middle of the spider web because they don't they're not on the inside of the MTG price pro trader community they don't really understand all the things I do they haven't paid attention why would they they don't care about MTG finance we're a niche within a niche I understand all that I understand why people aren't familiar but if you knew if you sat at my desk beside me for a week and saw what I do in my day-to-day life, what I do running my, my companies, and then how the MTG Finance side of things plays out, it would all make a lot more sense. I'm talking to people all over the world. I figured out early on in my MTG Finance activities that if you don't have a network, you're not going to get anywhere. So you need to be talking to people all the time, doing deals with people all over the place. And if you know enough people and you talk to enough people on any subject matter, whether it's magic cards or diamonds or sports or whatever, you're going to hear stuff. If you're a guy who goes who goes stadium to stadium in LA County and you're the guy who polishes the floors, at some point you're going to overhear some discussion about some player is going to get brought into the team next week and nobody's heard about it yet. doesn't mean you're something special it just means you're right place right time and people feel like they can talk to you and that if you look at the wired article i'm not sure i 100% agree with where they established the the she she never actually gets to um, establishing where the original source of the pioneer leak was because nobody really knows i didn't know i don't think craig really knows upstream where the information came from etc and So that puts me at least three or four steps removed. The premise that I'm responsible as a private citizen or player, or (laughs) she wants to call me an entrepreneur in this context, um, that I'm responsible somehow, ethically, for hearsay that I don't have any proof of other than one guy's word is a a little beyond the pale for me. It's kind of ridiculous coming from a publication like Wired where they will publish you know the slightest hint of a whiff of what the camera is going to be on the iPhone next year if they think that it's going to make them advertising dollars when they are absolutely doing the same kind of thing right they're they're trafficking in the journalistic presentation of advanced consumer product knowledge which is the closest thing you can come to having a factual thing you can lay at our feet in the MTG Finance community. And I'm not 100% clear on what people think we should do instead. I'm assuming the simplest request is nothing. If you hear something, keep it to yourself. The thing they don't understand is, if people are paying me to help (laughs) them get information in the form of regularly published content about MTG Finance, and I get news like that, and I keep it to myself, then... Depending on who gave it to me in the first place, if I don't do something with it, that person can then rake me over the coals in public later, saying, "Hey, hey, hey, I told James about Pioneer seventeen weeks ahead of time, and he never told anybody. Why right. didn't he tell anybody? I mean, what? What it, was? Obviously, he made a ton of money by himself. It, imagine,
1: you know, imagine somebody reaches out to me and shoots me a DM, and it's on, you know, on Twitter." And they say, "Hey Travis," and I you know, unsolicited, I yeah, unsolicited, right? Like this, just a random account. What? Hey, what's up? Uh, or even, you know, uh, yeah, unsolicited. I have something interesting you might want to hear. Oh yeah, what's that? There's this new format. It's going to have this information in it, and I can say, oh, "I don't really want to deal with this. Thanks, but goodbye." Right. I, I don't, Regardless of what I choose to do at that point in time. They can now post the pictures of the screenshot of the of the conversation that the and say, Hey, look, I told Travis this information. Here's screenshots of me sending to him. Here's him acknowledging that I told him that. And even though he didn't say to me, Wow, this is great, I'm gonna make so much money, like he knew this information. And you could frankly, you could send this stuff to myself or James or other magic professionals constantly just make stuff up and send it. And every time you're wrong, you have nothing. But if you ever get it right, you can then go on Reddit and social media and be like, hey, look, I told LSV that you know cycling was going to be in the next set, and the cycling cards would go up and he responded and he knew ahead of time and didn't do anything about it and he kept his mouth shut and he made the money off of it and you guys never knew and it'd be like you, you maybe you've sent l s v this same message about this about a different mechanic every single set release for the last six years, and you were finally right once and then that's the time you post it it's just it's so easy to try and make a point of showing that you shared information with somebody and they didn't act on it and then blame them for hiding that information down the road. Yeah. Which in fact, we talked about, we talked about this like last week off cast and something else had come up. And I, you know, in, in the past I have advocated that you make things more known because I'm like, it's way less damaging if you make it known and nothing comes of it rather than you saying nothing and it turning out that like people try and pin that on you for hiding it.
0: Well, and again, my, I've never engaged in what could actually, first of all, insider trading is specific to the stock market for a reason. It's not just that they haven't gotten around to making laws for the magic market. It's that they have no interest in doing so and never will. That there is no reason to protect people um, to make sure that information asymmetry doesn't exist in the computer consumer product sphere. That's just not an important economic social goal of any kind and i have yet to make here an argument levy that that would counter that the it it, even if you assume that that is a goal that you want that you think everybody should know this have the same access to information at all times and there's so many reasons that's wrong but even assuming that that is your goal if you're going to let point the insider trading finger you better know for a fact That the person you're pointing the finger at, in fact, is playing inside ball. That they have an inside contact that's giving them information in violation of a contract. Because third, fourth, fifth-hand rumors, as described in this article, do not equate to insider trading. Any more than your grandmother hearing a stock tip six times removed would put her on the hot seat for insider trading of a stock. It's just not how things work. You, people cannot be responsible for, un, for hearing unsolicited information. As the article, I mean, the article uses my private conversations with this ex-member to demonstrate that the person came to me of their own volition, having heard information somewhere else, and said, hey, I heard this, and I want to share it with this community. <laughs> like, I am not responsible for that. In fact, and, and I did the due, performed due diligence, to try to vet that information. We were unable to vet that information. So the only premise by which we agreed to share it with anybody else was with caveats that we don't know that this is true. And the reason that we do that is because we don't want to be caught. We don't want to be in a position where somebody can point a finger and said we held those cards close to our chest. And we also don't want to be in a situation where the information that we share is going to lead people in the wrong direction. We don't want to be responsible for people running down a road and wasting a bunch of money on something that is not going to be true since we don't know that it's true. So it's always going to be difficult. There's also the fact that my preference has always been to share this stuff in public. Magic, MTG Price Pro Trader, Yeah, we have, we offer a 48 hour window on our content to our users, but then it's public. So more or less everything that we create ends up in public hands for free to the magic community. So the vast majority of what we do is for everybody's benefit and they don't have to pay us a cent. That seems pretty reasonable. It And the vast majority of that content is aimed at helping people navigate the complexity of the magic economy to their benefit. Whether or not you want to make money will help you save money and you don't have to give us anything to get that. But because we're at the center of all that activity and all of that content creation and all that research, we are going to trip over things from time to time. And the the reason that that will, will ne- never be something that you can eliminate is because of what we've talked about in the past. This is a massive game. It's worth something like probably primary and secondary market is a billion to a billion and a half per year. Um, and there are so many partners involved that handle third-party stuff for Hasbro slash Wizards, and the correct way to manage a, a product like this is that they share information with those partners, and those partners are under contract to not share that information with other people, but it leaks out. Not Most of it is not, the vast majority of it is not going to be stuff where people go out of their way to try to leak something. It's going to be them having an offhand conversation at a barbecue, over a drink, while they're walking through a GP, whatever, and that information is going to be overheard by somebody who has no responsibility to that situation whatsoever, and then that person decides what they want to do with it. And because they're Magic players and they're excited by what they heard, they're going to try to share it with somebody else. That was true of the Pioneer situation. It was true of the person from Asia that sent me the picture of the Nickel Bolas card. It is... These things are are not the same source over and over again. They come from all sorts of different angles, all different parts of the world. And by and large, they all have a similar quality about them. They are a person who is excited by information they heard, where they have no responsibility and aren't worried about their personal legal consequences and therefore want to share it. I would
1: like to offer a
0: dissenting opinion
1: on one of the topics you touched on. Have, have you ever heard of Roko's Basilisk? I have recent, was recently made aware of this. I believe there are some members of the professional magic community who take it quite seriously. And I found the concept amusing. And uh, it, the idea here is that eventually an all-powerful artificial intelligence will rise into power and have total domain over all humans... And will retroactively punish and make suffer all those humans who did not assist in it coming to power. The idea being that all humans would essentially end up in like the singularity. And the AI would know if you helped it get here, get to power or not. And if you did not help it get into power, you will suffer. And the basilisk is that by me having told you this, you are now aware of the need to help that AI. Such that if you do not help it, you will now suffer. So you having just heard me say this out loud through no volition of your own and no consent of your own, I have forced this scenario upon you. So that is a situation in which you are responsible for having having overheard an idea that you didn't want anything necessarily anything to do with. So I just felt that that was germane to our conversation
0: here. Well, I mean, I'm not sure what the you know what the analog is there because sure, if the, there's an all powerful <laughs> AI that's going to levy judgment, that's one thing. But at the absence of that AI, we're talking about the fundamental ethics of commerce. And well, you, the AI- you were talking about having overheard stuff, like just having overheard it and like
1: being responsible for it. And this is an example of you over having overheard something and having to be responsible for, for having overheard it. It was also specious, and you know I was being
0: pain in the butt so not Fair. to be taken too seriously okay <laughs> so i mean the the premise that we are supposed to ignore information that would be detrimental to us in a scenario where that information by its very nature is top down from wizards is protectionist of the worst aspects of capitalism this this is the the argument I will advance over and over again, that MTG finance by and large, and at least in the way that you know organizations like Quiet Speculation or MTG Price and and even uh, Saffron and Goldfish, um, to some extent, especially in their earlier days, um, have operated, was not for the for the the benefit of wizards or for the benefit of even major vendors, it was for the benefit of players. It's the it's small C capitalism. It's the idea that. Instead of having a monopoly of large entities controlling the entire marketplace, one of the beautiful things about the magic economy is that if you choose to get involved, you can compete against those vendors by having a lower overhead model and having better research. If if you out-research the big guys, if you are such a talented player and analyzer of cards and metagames that you feel like you can spot something that's going to be hot later well, well ahead of the curve... You have an opportunity to get involved with this marketplace and either make the game a lot cheaper for yourself, which is the thing that I am thanked for by far most often. You know, I don't I don't have 300 things in my inbox where people said, thanks for getting me that dirty information that let me spec so hard. I have 300 like thank yous over the years from people that said, hey, you've made this game a little cheaper for me. Thank you so much. I, I was going to buy that. It. I was going to buy that thing and waste my money. Thanks for telling me not to. Uh, I forgot to buy that thing, and you reminded me. Thanks. Uh, you got you got. I bought four extra copies of this thing I needed for my deck, and managed to get the other ones for free because of the timing and blah blah blah. The
1: the, the number one
0: thing I'm thanked for is nothing. <laughs> well, you don't interact with people, so that's what you get. <laughs> I mean, that's that's also but, why this information didn't land <laughs> on your desk, and it's also the why the article is not about you, right? Like if you no, choose... I mean people people constantly say to me thanks for nothing. <laughs> that's what that's that's
1: the joke i was making
0: so my long-winded tear down of the concept of insider trading there's no insider trading there was a trading of rumors amongst a third-hand source and a fourth-hand source at best and it could have been fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth we don't know um neither of those those individuals had any responsibility to the situation in question. And what we chose to do with that information is completely up to us. And if your stance in the magic community is that you, you wish we would do nothing. I, I remind you the following. The best advice we gave people about pioneer was don't run out and buy pioneer cards. Let's make a list of everything. That's going to be good in pioneer. You can put a bunch of stuff in your shopping cart. And if, when this information is confirmed, you'll be ready to pull the trigger. So, It's not about what people bought ahead of time. I don't believe that very much money was made based on purchases that were made in the 48 hours, like the Saturday, Sunday, people had to respond to the information as it was shared. Even for people that did go in early, they didn't even necessarily buy the right things or pay the right price. You know, if you went in on smuggler's copters and hold the smuggler copters' foils and held them too long, that card got banned. If you went in on Etherworks Marvel, it spiked and then fell. so maybe you didn't get out in time. Just the, the fact that you had advanced information that was incomplete and not 100% trustworthy does not mean you went out and made a killing to the detriment of the rest of the magic community.
1: Well I, you, I'm gonna, I, 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 will, I will pick a i will pick a fight here. Uh, you know I agree with your, your overall point here. but I, I think that it's not unfair to level the claim that knowing ahead of time would be valuable. Sure. Sure. Because you you could look at you could look at the information that was put, the the, the rumors about Pioneer and go, okay, well, I'm hearing, you know, maybe the fetches are banned or not banned or I'm hearing that it starts here. But you can be like, well, if there if if I believe that there is a new format, but I'm not exactly clear at which point it's going to start at rather than try and guess at what set it's going to start at and buy cards from like roughly that point in time, I'm just going to go back like three years like three years to a set that I'm like nearly positive will be legal and buy cards from that ahead of time. Because I know that while I may not be clear on where the line is going to be drawn, I'm sure that set will end up in. And you could also make the claim that even if you didn't buy cards during that Saturday and Sunday time period, having the, time to think about it and discuss it and make a plan is very valuable so when that announcement hits at 11 a.m eastern monday you know exactly where to go based on the circumstances where somebody hearing about it for the first time now has to do that research to figure out like okay well wait what is going to matter in this world you've already put the time in over the last 48 hours so you get to the to the best stuff first
0: sure but i'm not i'm not arguing that it's not valuable what i'm saying is that there's no evidence that it leads to uh some kind of negative impact on the greater community. The idea ah. the, the, the impact that you're, that you're claiming, let's just say that it is viable. Let's say that, you know exactly what card to buy and you go and buy all of that card. Now this is a million light years from what actually happens, but let's just say that there's a card that was necessary in pioneer. There's only 10,000 copies. They were a dollar. They're going to be $10. You know, where all 10,000 are sitting and you can make that deal on Saturday afternoon and get all 10,000 for a dollar. Okay. Okay. In that scenario, that really is awful for the community. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to argue it's not, but let's get there. So the you've got all 10,000 copies. You are hoarding this card. Now let's remember, <laughs> you're not hoarding 95 n95 masks during COVID. They are not essential. This is still, and this is this matters so so much. This is a discretionary card game. You don't need. To own any of it it's not food it's not water it's not shelter it's not sex it's not clothing it's not a career this is completely discretionary in a grand scheme where there are hundreds if not thousands of alternative options of ways to entertain yourself at varying price points from free to very expensive and inside a game where there are a couple hundred thousand cards or something maybe it's only a hundred thousand can't remember But there are thousands and thousands of cards, many of which go unplayed because people allow themselves to get locked up in playing these very specific formats that tend to trend towards high power levels instead of just playing fun, casual magic and making it cheap. Because of all that, it's pretty easy to to turn it around and point the finger back at somebody and say, do you really need this? I mean, this whole thing with the Godzilla basics that were announced for Secret Layer this week is much more of the same. People saying, yeah, it's total ripoff, $30, five basics, should just give these away for free in the packs, whatever. Yeah, okay. Or they can price whatever, put out whatever they want, price it however they want. And if it's luxury, but you don't need it to play, you can ignore it. Okay. Now, now, now so, back. let me finish the thought. So back to the, the 10,000 copies. I've got 10,000 smugglers copies I acquired for a dollar. There are none other in the world. And on Monday, the announcement is made. Everybody goes, hey, I should check on Smuggler's Copter. Oh, that guy has them listed for $100. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to need four of these for my deck. But I don't want to spend $400. So I guess I'll pass. Now, there is no clear transfer of utility here. This person has priced at whatever the market will not bear. They are not making any money. They have not sold any copies. If those 10,000 copies sell at $100 each, then they were worth $100. And the fact that that person knew ahead of time lets them be the person in position to sell them. But had they not existed and not known ahead of time, then other people, let's say it's 20 vendors or something, would have bought up that inventory within an hour of the announcement because that's what they do. It, whether or not there's advanced information, there is still information asymmetry present in the market at all times, and you cannot eliminate it. There is always going to be someone who is more in the know, moving faster, and has deeper pockets than you. And in this open market that, that Magic essentially embodies, um, putting aside Hasbro's top-down control of it, those people were going to rush in and buy anyway. If you don't think a buyer from Star City was going to snap up 400 copies of Smuggler's Copter as soon as the news became official, whether or not somebody else, Bob Jones, could have bought those 400 copies on Saturday, it's not going to end up making a difference. Because ultimately, the average player moves too slow to respond to be able to get ahead of the curve, even if there was no advanced knowledge. Okay, so I'm going to I have two, two topics here. One is the information
1: asymmetry, which I... I, I think we're pretty much on the same page on the image, information asymmetry and I want to make a comment about that. But I, before I get to that, I want to go back to your thought experiment here because while well, I generally agree with you that the idea of buying, you know, if you had bought up a lot of some copy of card ahead of time of the announcement would have been profitable, but that's fine. I think the specific example you chose is, I don't love it because if you were able to buy every single copy in existence of a card that was legal in this newly announced format, Which is to be, to reiterate, is impossible. But were that to actually happen, I do think that would harm the magic community. Like, because if I'm in possession of that card, I'm not just gonna start selling copies for $100. I mean, maybe I would. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna contact all like the pros and be like, I will sell one place out of this, place your bids. Right, like it's going to be and bad and for magic and no, no, that no. I'm only going to do because then gonna, I get to
0: impact competitive nature. They're going like, to tell you it's, no, it's not no. good for it, magic. I don't buy any of that. They're going to tell you to go fuck yourself. That no one is going to let them, no one is going to let your, themselves get held hostage. And in fact, what would happen? The part that people miss is that first of all, if something was ever locked down to the extent that that, that it desperately needed a reprint, it would just get one. Wizards can short run print things. That's what Secret Layer is all about. If if somebody had in fact well, managed to corner can. the, yeah, but if somebody had ever managed to corner the market on any magic card in Magic's history, to the extent that a reprint was needed, a reprint would be forthcoming. It behooves <laughs> it behooves if Wizards thinks that less people will play the game because a card is not available, then they will make it available. And this ties all into the 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 pace. Um, and depth of reprints for things like fetch lands. People are constantly complaining that there aren't enough fetch lands, that the price gets too high, but the reality is that there's no there's no uh proof that the price of fetch lands has prevented the expansion of Magic to an extent that the the net uh gain to the Magic economy would have been greater had they made them cheaper. Uh, Okay, so we're arguing
1: strictly about a hypothetical here, but I'm still sticking with the point that, yes, Wizards can like do now they can do a fairly quick reprint of specific products if they need to. But if if the format was announced and there's a pro tour like two months away of that format. Like it just you you could you could have a dramatic impact on the competitive nature of this newly announced format before Wizards has a chance to print new copies of that card. Sure, it's going to make people very angry about it. Like you're, people are going to get very upset. Like the entire Magic community would be a, a light for like every other event that we've had and been are angry about and people have complained about on, Twitter, on social media would pale compare to what would happen if this event occurred pros would get angry about it like uh, but we're talking being...
0: about okay, we're talking about the wrong things it doesn't matter how people feel about it that oh, the anger, your the anger is whether is... it damages the magic community yeah, but that's not what, what anger... i say that damages uh, okay see so we're, we're talking about different things i don't care what your emotions are that to me does not represent damage <laughs> but i i expect that we're all adults dealing. know that no we're dealing with a um discretionary card game and it's for entertainment purposes there are many ways to play it we don't need any given card to have fun and so if you're willing to pay the price of the card as it appears in the market then it matches your utility profile and if it doesn't then you can either play a different format play a different deck replace the card if if in this weird hypothetical there's no copies in the market there's no impact because nobody can play it so, if one pro is the one, if it's a pro who did it, and they did it with their super deep money bank, like Richie Rich Pockets, so that they could be the only one to play Smuggler's Copter, then they certainly have an advantage. But, so what? Like, the guy who, who finishes second place makes X amount less, but didn't have to pay $6,000 for their Smuggler's Copter, so he's fine with that, or well, should be. Well, I'm not
1: arguing anything about the luxury nature of the product. I've made that point myself to other people. And on this cast, don't disagree with you whatsoever. Um, it, I, I, I mean, and I agree with you also, like if a card's too expensive, don't buy it, don't play with it. Like, yeah, there's a bunch of cards that are too expensive that I don't own. It's you, I can start to see where you'd be like, well, okay, but that means the guy who's willing to spend $20,000 on a play set, the only place of this card that's legal or that's available for this format is buying a pro tour win. Like you could make that claim or, or doing his best to buy it in a way that other players just don't like have the opportunity. And you could be like, well, it ruins the, the, prestige of the event by allowing one player to like try and buy a victory and it's not about the ev it's about somewhat it, it'd be the same as if you know a billionaire tried to buy the stanley cup type of thing sure right like well it, it's that, it that's ruins that, the, that's the, s- the integrity of the event yeah. which is bad mm-hmm. for the sure the, for that, the community
0: th- that's a good analogy um however let's come back to reality now <laughs> yes what actually what actually happens and happened and will continue to happen, and probably has always happened. As news breaks, I just assume at this point that whether or not I know something in advance, somebody knows something in advance. So for instance, there is information floating around out there on a major social media site about M21. Nothing that any of our people touched that we know of. It outlines the mechanics of M21, and some reprints for m (laughs) twenty one. That information is out there floating around. You have to assume somebody is using it. If I'm third or fourth or fifth hand on a rumor, I have to assume that by the law of statistics, there are probably at least a few dozen people that know about that thing. And probably more like hundreds or thousands, and it just becomes a question of how many of them are acting on it. Right? as For Pioneer, I think it's safe to assume it was relatively broadly known, right? It was a, a project that involved a bunch of partners. The information would not have been easy to contain in that situation. And there'd been a lot of, you know, back and forth with those partners and people overheard stuff probably in semi-public or public venues. And I would guess that's how the information got it. If that's true, not only is there no responsibility on the people that heard it and passed it along, but... We know that looking back, there wasn't tremendous economic impact. You're going to have a lot of trouble pointing at a card that ended up being really mattering in Pioneer, being super expensive as a result of people knowing in advance about Pioneer. We didn't have $100 smugglers copters that week. There was, I can't think of a card that was too expensive Monday morning. I can certainly think of cards that were heavily targeted, but so many of those cards had such deep supply that you're talking about somebody picking off a bunch of $3 copies of something that might have been 6 by Monday morning, and then the market set the price at 15 Because the utility of the card shifted much more than the speculators were willing to push. And that makes sense, because speculators don't want to buy all the way up the ramp. Speculators want to buy at the bottom because they're hoping to get a really significant margin because if if they could do better by operating on a buy list principle, then they would do so. So you, as a speculator, you don't want to buy a $10 copy to go to $12. You want to buy a $4 copy to go to 10 And I don't know of, and I'm looking at it pretty hard, anything related to Pioneer that ended up being ridiculously expensive and unavailable. Well, so I, so I you're going to have a lot of trouble convincing me that the the small group of people around the world that knew pioneer was coming had were much more than a tiny ripple in the overall market.
1: Well, and I think that and I I'm taking a guess here, but I would imagine a lot of the frustration comes from one of two vantage points, uh, one of three vantage points. One is that it just it ruins the integrity of of magic without any sort of additional back there's no there's nothing more to that argument it's just it's bad for magic that there is this type of information asymmetry with with events and that type of thing uh you know that's that's one idea a second idea is uh maybe this time nothing severe happened but it doesn't mean it couldn't next time the i what the possibilities that this represents are the problem. And maybe it didn't play out too severely with Pioneer, but maybe in a future world where some other format or something else gets announced, it does position people to really have an impact. Now, agreeing with them, just saying that could be, that is a second position you people could take. And the third one is it did happen, but we didn't see it. Somebody out there saw this coming, bought A God knows how many thousands of copies of some card, like a dollar, two bucks. It wasn't really noticed. And now it's like six bucks and the price doesn't look like a huge deal, right? There's some card out there in Pioneer from $2 to $6 and nobody's throwing hissy fit about it because it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But some guy had 3000 copies of them that would have been out there for other players to buy. And he makes a fortune and everyone else is stuck
0: paying six bucks a piece. So like the per person, it's not enough to be angry, but like. There's, there's, there's some well fundam- fundamental misunderstandings of economics in, in that series it's, of statements. I, 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 the, I'm not advancing any of those. I'm just I, trying to like put myself in the shoes of people who are upset about this. Sure, but what they're missing is the concept of utility and relative utility. The, the guy that bought those at three, it doesn't matter whether it's one guy or 600 guys that hear about it ahead of you. If you decide that the card is worth six bucks. Like it's, up, it's up to us to decide what an object is worth. And the only time that I have a problem with setting the price is when it's an essential thing. Healthcare should be very cheap because everybody needs it. Air, water, a safe environment, all should be very cheap because everybody needs it. So heavily socialist in, in, in regard, as, as pertains to essentials. In life, yes. but for discretionary yeah. entertainment objects, I have little to no sympathy for most for most of this because I think Magic actually does an extremely good job of presenting a range of price points and experiences. As I said in the article, it's a platform, not a singular game. There are so many different ways to play the game. You can play with you know Popper is a good example, but you can go further. You can say. It's not just popper, it's popper where no card can have a current market value over a dollar if you want it to. I mean there's nothing stopping us from doing that. But right, yeah. but people by and large have leaned into these these wizards dictated formats that require you to buy a bunch of rares and mythics. And I have never in twenty plus years playing the game, and I've been playing since ninety four. So twenty five plus years playing the game. I've never had any more fun because my deck was more expensive.
1: In uh, fact, in, yes. in
0: in big formats like EDH, most people will tell you that detuning your deck re- results in better games.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with pretty much all that. Uh, I mean, I could, you know, if I made a point of it, I'm sure I could nitpick a couple things, but I uh, guess I'm on the same page with you. I'm pretty much all of that. Like it's a luxury game. It, it doesn't blah, 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 blah. You already said it all. Um. So I, I'm on board with you there. One thing I do want to touch on real quick, and this is not, uh, this is, in this case, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just trying to present uh, another perspective on a on a point, which was the information asymmetry, and people get you know don't like the idea that we know something about a future format or something like that. It's unfair. It gives us room to profit. Okay, but future products and future formats, uh, the nature of the game at a future point in time isn't the only type of asymmetry of information. And if you want to talk about that type of concept and how it can apply differently, just look at the Pro Tour. What do you think these Pro Tour teams get together for? It's not so that they can find the best decks in the format and then email everyone else registered for that and let them know what they found out. The whole point of breaking a Pro Tour and the the dream of all these Pro Tour teams is finding the deck that nobody else did realizing that something is very good and leveraging that information to win games that your opponents didn't have. That's like the concept of magic deck building is, is basically trying to leverage information asymmetry. I know something about how good these cards were together that you don't, and I'm going to use that to win my matches. That's literally the idea of the pro tour. Well, I'm, so,
0: and, and I would argue that, the way, the nature of the magic product and economy, the way that it's all structured, interweaves information asymmetry and the pursuit of such at almost every level. So your your examples is totally on point, but that's also true just in general, your amount of experience in this marketplace, the number of contacts you have, how many different vendors you, you know, um, how many coupon codes you've memorized. um, how many different formats you play, the amount of time you have to spend on things, all of these things give you information advantages that are that cumulatively are much more important than whether or not I knew p- about Pioneer two days ahead of time. Yeah, my, my, and and, my, my, and trust me, wealth of, th- those are being leveraged all the time. The
1: wealth of information that you and I have from over two decades of playing Magic and having spent. massive amounts of time thinking about buying and selling and investment strategies and how cards move in price and all of the hashtag MTG finance behaviors is worth incomprehensible value relative to knowing about a format ahead of time. I mean, I like it's just that, that's how we, how we, Proceed to profit is because we're using information that we've spent two decades gathering and and making good decisions with that. And if you want to, if you think, well, anyone can do that. uh, Take a look at Reddit you know, the like <laughs> yeah. the, the magic subreddit and yeah. see what people without that level of information, the decisions they're making and the yeah. judgment calls. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that's what it looks like when you don't have that information. And if you still don't get it, think about the times you sat down to a game of magic and your opponent makes a play and you're like, that's an awful play. Why would he do that? Does he not understand this is a bad choice? Do all the bad decisions you see people make on a daily basis, either people you know or you're in your own life because we all do it. That is information asymmetry, buddy. That is people who
0: don't have the information necessary to make a good decision well and most of the comments that people made about the article on twitter kind of washed past me because anybody who was saying anything especially virulent was probably pre-blocked already um you know anybody who's out there that's looking for me to get into trouble for and has ulterior motives um i just didn't see what they had to say One of the comments I saw from a fairly prominent content creator was something like, after reading this article, I'm fairly certain that nothing James Chilcott has done has benefited the magic community and is just Mm -hmm. absolutely toxic. And I was like, "Uh, (laughs) okay, uh, how about this article I wrote last week, co-wrote with Oko about how to navigate the magic online economy? You don't think that has any value to anybody? You don't think we got a bunch of thank yous for that? That's tip of the iceberg for the amount of content we've put out over the years and that has helped people. And even in the context of when we were discussing Pioneer in our Discord with our members, do you understand the role that we're playing there? Yeah, we're looking to make some money, but we're also helping people avoid pitfalls and traps. And those people are not a bunch of evil MTG Finance speculators. They are players just like you that happen to have a greater interest in MGG Finance than you, or they're super collectors. We have lots of those in our in our Discord. And as that news breaks, those people are like, oh, I'm going to run off and go buy such and such. And then somebody else steps up that knows more than them and says, you know what? That's a bad idea. The The, the sum total of value that I have created as a content
1: creator, uh, if you look at it in terms of how much money I'm, people made because i told them to buy something early or give them the idea to buy something early versus how much i saved them by preventing them from making a stupid decision yeah uh it's got to be 10 to 1 because it's, it's just it you know the ideas that will make me a lot of money make players a lot of money are fewer and further between and also easier for me to leverage personally uh but it's real easy to Tell people why their ideas are bad because there's a lot more opportunity to tell people that, no, you shouldn't buy uh, Luris's at $25 thinking it'll go to 50 And here's all the reasons why than it is to find the one companion out of the eight others where you're like, ooh,
0: that's the one that's going to go from $3 to $10. People need to understand that I field 10, 20, 30 inquiries a week via Twitter, Facebook, email, et cetera, where people say, I found a collection. Such and such and such. It was in my basement. What should I do? Who should I talk to? I have a misprint. Where should I go? Should I buy this card? Do you think this deck is a real deck? Blah, blah, blah. All, all the time. All the time. Mm-hmm. And people mm-hmm. like the professor and Saf and all these other people, I guarantee you get 5, 10, 20, 30 times that volume and respond to whatever they've got time for. Everybody out there that is creating content and and has a... Uh, proactive stance in social media is spending a lot of free time helping a lot of people out and the premise that I'm out there sharing information so that hey, 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 you'll go out and buy the things that I bought so that you'll reinforce my spec is just utter and complete fucking nonsense. If I buy 8 or 12 copies of something when there's a million copies printed, I don't in the, in the slightest believe in some kind of ego storm that if I convince 20 other people to go buy eight copies each we're going to have some impact like that has never worked and never will work and the only smart way to approach things is what we've been telling people to do for years which is to mop up action that the market generates on its own once a steep ramps in play one supply is pretty low there's a few copies under 10 but everything else is 15 plus you grab those copies you stash them away you play a couple you sell a couple and you're doing good and and that's the version of MTG Finance that people need to understand is basically most of what goes on.
1: Yeah, and uh, the the best way to do it, and which also has, a,
0: yeah. All right, so, so let's let's spend a few minutes here but, 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 just going over a few of the
1: choice yeah. comments. The, wait, the one comment I want to, oh the, wait, the choice comments from the article.
0: Yes. Oh okay yeah yeah that's fine. So there's some some good little nuggets in here. So dude was firing off messages in excited little fragments punctuated by smiley face emojis while Chilcott responded in more and more measured prose, which appeared adjacent to an icon of a hair-gelled man in a business suit making a Zoolander mouth shape. Yeah, frankly, the most damaging writing here (laughs) is
1: regarding your physical appearance, but I got to give her credit for being truly savage.
0: my, My older brother has been levying the Zoolander comment for like a good 10, 15 years. So he was in tears when he read this and we'll probably frame it and put it in his living room. The personal validation on that for him, I'm sure. was Uh, Yeah. He just can't even, um, but I, the only, the only quibble I have here is as if I use hair gel, like, come on, please. This is, this is some kind of high end paste or glue or something. Like my hair is not a wet look. Give me, give me a break. Um, Further down in this article, we get a we get a pretty decent, I think, overall gist of what goes on. There's parts about uh, vendors buying reserve list cards. There's parts about vendors uh, participating in international arbitrage between the U.S. and Japan and Europe and the U.S. Stuff that we've been trying to get people on for years and has been uh, a fairly uh, relevant trend line. There. When I first talked to the writer about Bitcoin and magic, uh, I thought she was headed in the wrong direction. And I think that I I provided some good information there. And I think some other people she talked to did as well, because it ended up being a, a pretty on point take about what Bitcoin meant for magic in 2017. I was worried she was going to try to push the agenda that Bitcoin had made magic overall more expensive. Um, which was not the case, there was definitely a run up in specific reserve list cards, and she mentions them as a shift in investment from Bitcoin to high end magic that that I take issue with it 's not that they were shifting investment it 's that they were exiting to cash because they believed that crypto was a bubble and it was going to crash. So the guys that were farming you know ended up with hundreds of thousands tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars in Bitcoin. Bitcoin starts to run from two thousand up to almost twenty thousand in November, uh, from like June to November of twenty seventeen. <clears throat> Those guys are looking to get out to something that they can hide from the government, so they're not investing in magic cards. They're transitioning to a liquid asset that they can walk onto a GP floor and walk out with three or four thousand dollars in their pocket.
1: I I I, I could, you know, like nitpicking over language, which granted. You'll find few people that enjoy doing that as much as I do. I mean, I you could call it investing in magic because it, both. I
0: I don't, I don't think your comments are mutually exclusive. I'll put it that way. But ultimately, this is irrelevant. One, the, I think they part of the article that I take the most issue with, is that the guy in this article that gave us information about Pioneer, who is more or less a declared enemy at this point for completely unrelated reasons. Um, I very much called the question whether digging into his personal past was in even remotely relevant.
1: There, I guess it was supposed to make it a human interest angle, right?
0: Sure, but she, I think she's also trying to draw this thing like, this guy is like a back alley shady character because he was a gambler. And it's like, hold up. Y- you've done nothing to draw parallels. There, There's no... He He's not into magic because he was a gambler. Now, there are certainly prominent Magic players who have also been prominent gamblers. You know, Dave Williams comes to mind. Um, All of them. No, I would argue Dave Williams is not a gambler. I would <laughs> – playing poker does
1: not make you a gambler. Okay. As as an argument I lovied at my father quite a few times when I was in my early 20s in playing poker.
0: Uh, we're running out of time. So <laughs> suffi- suffice to say, I, I think that the background on the guy in question in the article was undes- undeserved – The connections are tenuous. I don't think it adds to the piece. And it makes it feel like more of a hit piece than it needs to. Um, There's a thing in here about how... uh, COVID hasn't really impacted... MTG Finance, at least at the point where they were wrapping up their research, they talked about uh, interviewing the owner of MTG Stocks and Peter saying that he had taken a look at top cards and formats and said that that portfolio was only down about 1% at the time of his interview. Um, I, I, I think that the, the key point there is that, A, that number is probably down f- further at this point. B there's a lot of price memory stickiness in a static market. And C we're only at the, the the early days still of this situation and as we've talked about in the past. If this goes on in another three or six months, we're gonna see significantly more decline in overall card portfolio prices. I
1: I yeah, I didn't think the COVID information was important one or the other. Uh, just backing up to paragraph though, I do think it's amusing when she's describing Rudy, who uh, who we have some pretty strong opinions on. Uh cool. she says it, she, he ha- shares many investor tips. Uh <laughs> if his comments are in, any indication blah 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 interesting wrote a YouTube user with an anime avatar that is also savage. That is a savage burn on Rudy. They're like, Hmm, let's look at your people. who have comments on your videos. Oh, he's got anime avatar. Hmm. Who are you attracting? Who is your target audience here? Anime avatars. Come on, buddy.
0: It's interesting that Rudy did not allow himself to be interviewed. Uh, I think that's probably for the best having gone through the process myself. <laughs> The, I don't think uh, that would have been necessarily to his benefit. Um, oh man, it would have been great keep, if Rudy, it.
1: it would have been great if he interviewed because it would have gone horrendously for him.
0: I, yeah, I don't know if it would have or, or if it wouldn't have, but I think that it, given the way his whole thing is set up, uh, keeping most of the details of his operation private are probably to his benefit. The, um, there's a comment here. Those fans have complained loudly and for years that they can't afford the increasingly high prices of the cards they'd like to put in their decks because of speculation. Uh, I, again and again and again, I will that's, go. That's a... I, I will go to bat that speculation is not what makes cards more expensive. The market has <laughs> to. The market has to want the cards, and for them to be hard to come by, not because speculators are hoarding them, but because most players are hoarding them because. Most of the cards, most of the print run is not in vendor hands. You can reality check that any time by looking at pre-COVID, look at how deep the inventory is on a card just after it comes out on TCG Player between all vendors, and you will get less than a couple thousand copies of a Rare or a Mythic. They printed hundreds of thousands, if not millions, depending on the set. Where are the rest of those cards? They are locked up in sealed product, and they are in closets and under beds, And if everybody turned in all their stuff to the buy list at once, you could crash this market in a heartbeat. Please stop pointing fingers at speculators when it is the players that are hoarding the cards. To to play the devil's advocate, I could make the point that
1: technically none of the sentences in that paragraph are untrue. The fans have complained loudly and for years, yep, that they can't afford increasingly high prices of cards, yep, because of speculation. They sure do complain about that.
0: Yeah. But
1: it's. Yes, they do. But they're wrong. And the, are they and, wrong? And the, yes. The evidence yes.
0: The, <laughs> I, I am, agree with ambitious you. Ambitious Just... dealers have been suspected of buying out every single available copy of a card to inflate its mm-hmm. price. Also true. Utter, also true. Uh, also a finger that's been pointed. Also but, complete and utter nonsense. The vast but, majority of cards are not in the market and never will be because they are locked up in personal collections.
1: Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, the sentence as written is completely is technically true. But I, the sentiment behind it, of course, is bunk.
0: Yeah. Creating a hostage situation for regular players who just want one copy for their commander deck. It's not a hostage situation because even if you're talking about something like Wheel of Fortune for EDH, you can. there are a bunch of other cards you can play instead that aren't going to make a meaningful difference no. in your fun factor to play the game and probably I wish make this your was- deck more enjoyable for everybody at the table.
1: I wish any of that was true because then it would give me an excuse to go get like a foil hostage taker signed and framed and put on the wall.
0: So I could look at myself as a hostage taker. But frankly, (laughs) it's just not that cool. After days of a stern out of stock on the cards, cardkingdom.com page, a price may appear that's 150 higher than the original. Think of the Mm. children. Yeah, that's the. She almost she almost seems to get a little self-aware at the end there with the the think of the children um yeah
1: reflect That's very simpsons-esque yeah and edna no not edna krabappel uh
0: lovejoy shoot what's her name other people know it so i only have one other complaint about things that were said about me it says chilcott is a blue-eyed clean-cut entrepreneur investor and self-described guru of mtg finance who slicks his hair forward into a 90s era point at the center of his forehead okay two complaints first of all i would never use the words guru (laughs) i would never have said i am a guru so that's total and utter nonsense um i
1: also i also have a complaint it's uh please stop pointing your hair forward in at a 90s era yeah. Please, po- please, please point your hair
0: in a more
1: modern setting.
0: Well, thank you. Crystal clear that she didn't grow up in the 90s because literally nobody had my haircut in the 90s. Like, still don't nobody. So what are you talking about?
1: Okay, I guess so. I, I, I. All right. So I'm going to do I'm going to be I'm going to. Give her the benefit of the doubt. And I guess I do remember like the late 90s, early 2000s where every every male had that hair slicked forward. It's just rather than in the point, it was the little wave, right? Where you had – boys had their hair cut pretty short and they would slick all of it forward and then they would put their hand on their forehead flat like they were sunning their eyes from the sun or shading their eyes from the sun. Sure. And kind of slick it straight up, right? So they, no one had the point, but everyone had the wave.
0: There were certainly some hairspray waves in the early 90s, for sure. That's not at all what my hair looks like. The, I, I've, heard, I've heard loud and clear, everybody, that you're not a, huge fans of my hair. It's totally fine. <laughs> Fortunately, it doesn't affect my love life any, and I'm doing all right. So I think we're all going to be okay. The, uh, the economy of magic is designed to suck money out of people's wallets, Chilcott says. It behooves the average player to understand the basics of the economics so they can play the game more cheaply. MTG Price isn't about pulling people toward highly speculative activities, it's about helping people interpret the magic economy so they can save money. He adds that if they get good enough, magic players who pay attention can level up to become small-time vendors who make money with magic. I think this is my favorite paragraph of the piece in terms of it is... A, a direct quote from myself. B, I am I'm gonna say it's your
1: favorite part of the
0: article because it's just what you said. It's just a giant
1: block quote from you.
0: Yeah, but keep it. Keep in mind, she interviewed me for five or six hours, and this is the quote she chose. So clearly, she thought it was relevant. The, I think it's this is to me what MGG Finance is about. This perfectly encapsulated. It's it's there's nothing altered in this quote. It's a direct quote, and I will back this as the reason I'm involved in MGG Finance for as long as i survive in MGG finance
1: yeah i yeah i mean this is all the same stuff we've been shoot this this half of this sentence half of this paragraph is in the promo
0: text that bookends the cast so like yep (laughs) and then one other quote i have comments on there, there is therefore little doubt that maintaining a model that keeps vendor inventory relevant is an important part of keeping the game sustainable in the long term. I say in my counter-argument, she's referring to the video I did for the prof uh, back when he allowed me to do so. Um, she says, commenters were quick to point out that this rebuttal was self-serving. Chilcott's pitch isn't just his platform where people buy and sell the stuff, it's his philosophy. Making money consistently in a fluctuating market means winning out on bets more often than other people. If the goal of M T G Finance was for everyone to make money, it wouldn't pay off for the people who really invested their time in it. That's completely nonsense. If the goal of M T G Finance was for everyone to make money, it wouldn't pay off for the people who really invested their time in it. That's simply not true. What it would I do? I actually
1: don't understand what she, that she's basically is saying. It's a zero say. sum game.
0: She's saying that if I'm if I want everybody to have equal access to the information that we pr- provide for on you know, in the, say the MTG Finance content stream. That it would result in us, the people that are pr- providing that content, that are also participating in the market, making way, way less money because it would even out. Okay. Now that's true if you took it to an il- like an I- impossible extreme, if everybody had a hive mind and we all shared information about the magic economy instantaneously with each other at all times, then you would be dealing with a completely static market because as soon as cards came out, they would be instantly evaluated assigned to their roles in the market. Their exact worth would be established based on the, a number of copies printed versus the amount of demand it would generate.
1: Would, wouldn't there just not be prices? Like people would just would just hand cards off to each other. Yeah. Like in, in tr- at, a, at a hive mind level situation, sure. there is no market. You're so, the board. So
0: she's right with a hive mind. But in realistic terms, anyone who's peddling uh, knowledge on a subject matter is peddling it into a situation where they know information asymmetry will always exist. Not because they're des- they are strategizing to make sure it exists but because there will always be people that have other priorities that that don't have that much time that don't have that much money that don't have that much interest and that difference the difference of commitment on those axes will determine the way that the market churns and that's how all economies work and that makes perfect sense that that's how it should work because we are not a hive mind everybody has Different values, different principles, different utility for different things. And so, for my wife, her she would pay. Somebody offered her a black lotus; she'd pay a dollar. She just doesn't care. But for someone who feels fully plugged in and understands what they can turn around and resell it for, you could probably get within ten percent of the asking price. These are normal, natural things. I mean, if if Wired is going to point a finger on. At at us for that, they're going to have to look pretty hard at all the things they've been advertising in their magazine for twenty five years.
1: Yeah, this, yeah, the, the, if that's really the point she's trying to make, it's crap. I I don't even think the writing does a good job explaining that, but I agree that that's crap. Yeah, assuming that's where she's going with it.
0: I, the bottom line is, we don't worry about everybody having access to what we know because the majority of us that can't shut up in the mtg finance community are doing it because it's a social activity for us like I, I don't haunt our discord all the time because i need an army of people to do what i tell them i haunt our discord because i'm bored and looking to interact <laughs> like because i can't i have i'm a massive multitasker and i have 50 tabs open in my browser at any given time and mtg finance is like 15 percent of that activity on any given day and Interacting with people brings me satisfaction. It, in no way, like, in all the years you've known me, have you ever heard me be like, hey, 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 I've manipulated the situation so that it will work in our advantage? Like, I, I don't know anybody in MTG Finance that's operating on that principle. I mean, I would,
1: if I could. <laughs> first of all i would guess you if i if i trace through our last four and a half years maybe with a little less mustache twirling you might have had that sentiment once or twice and i absolutely would if like it was really viable like i wish any of this was nearly as exciting as it is painted to be i'm so annoyed that I am not in this article. I so badly wanted Wired to paint me as some shadowy figure who was involved in this cabal of trafficking and secret magic information and backed room deals because I absolutely would have bought a physical copy of this, ripped the pages out, framed it, and put it on my wall because it is, <laughs> it just would have been so fun to be painted in that light because the reality of the matter is that we. You know, poke around on Discord and record the podcast and I stuff envelopes with cards and I have a giant pile of cardboard over on the hutch in the other room and it's just nowhere near as exciting as any of this is painted out, painted to be.
0: Yeah. All right. People have endured enough of that. We can put that one to bed and put it in the record books. Let's take a look at the cards to watch this week. Um, yeah. over on over on Magic Online, things are things are moving around. Uh companions are having the biggest impact on what's moving uh currently on Magic Online. But I mentioned Liliana of the Veil earlier uh as something that might be a card not to run out and buy now. But Liliana doesn't work in Luris Junt because Luris wants permanents that are two cast and cost or less, not three or less. So Liliana is headed for an all-time low. She could end up somewhere at like nine, eight, seven, six, five U.S. dollars equivalent in ticks. And if that's the case, I would probably start looking at it to pick up a playset or two, on the premise that if Luris rebounds and the Jun players have sold out of their Lilianas, they've effectively managed to short them. Because if they got out at ten or fifteen dollars, they'll be able to buy them back later, closer to five, maybe. And if you can spot that low, um, at minimum, you'll be getting them back for your Jund deck. And if you're on the speculative side, you might be able to ride it back up a few bucks uh, when uh, lyrics gets banned and people start flailing around looking for stuff that was worthless but is suddenly worthwhile again. Yeah.
1: I, I think this, the logic here is sound that Liliana of the Veil vale is real bad right now, but will become a lot more relevant again once Lurus is gone, which we have to assume will happen.
0: I've got seven to 12 here, but I don't actually know what the low will be like with magic online. I like to spot a low and then watch for an uptick on news and buy then. Mm-hmm. So I'm in yeah. no rush to pick up my Lilianas. I want to okay. see the Luris banning and then buy a few Lilianas.
1: Yeah. I mean, frankly, you're, if you're talking about magic online, it's don't wait for the low. It's, wait for the ban announcement and be the first person to the bots. Yep. Right? Like, you, you have the ability to move that quickly. And they can't cancel your order. It's not like a paper where someone can just refuse to put the cards in a mailer and refund your money.
0: Yep. And, and the bots don't typically get manually repriced very often. Uh, although on banner and restricted days, it's possible that they would do that. But you'll know that before you get into the transaction. Yeah. So over in paper, uh, my first pick is Seasoned Pyromancer. We flagged it as being a ten to twelve or thirteen dollar card this week. If paper recovers and people are playing the green red Ponza deck in modern, and they get to use Obosh, and that uh, squares it up as something that can top eight on a regular basis, I could easily see CZ, uh, CZP going from twelve to eighteen, say for fifteen percent gains. Maybe you get to buy list them at fourteen or fifteen. I I think that modern is
1: looks rosy on um and moto and that especially if you see some companion bands um you know that format is going to be real strong i'm a mildly concerned about its transition to paper both with pioneers continued popularity and also covid keeping people out of stores entirely uh at the same time pyromancer was looking juicy and modern and the ponza deck looks solid and if it's not the ponza deck it'll probably be something else and it's also just a very good red card uh so it's hard to dislike this even with questions about how m- much people will be putting paper to table to play modern in the year
0: 2020 yep uh what about your first pick Uh,
1: So I am positive I've written about this card elsewhere, probably in a Watchtower a couple months ago, but Torment of Hellfire popped up on my radar again this week from Hour of Devastation foils, both pack foils and pre-release foils. I think the pack foils are slightly cheaper right now. It is in about twenty thousand, just under twenty thousand EDH rec decks, of course, with Zaxara having been printed as one of the new commanders, which is the one that um, gives you bonuses for playing X spells, which Torment of Hellfire is. So you have an already very popular black X spell that is getting even better with one of the one of, if not the most popular, new commander. Um, supply is limited overall. There's I think there was less than 30 vendors for the card. Most didn't have more than two or three copies. Um, and several of those were over, you know, $15, $20 anyways. So if you can get in at around 13, really under 15, I think you can probably look to sell around 25, know that you'll be selling to EDH buyers. So you're selling one at a time. I wouldn't go too deep. Um, You know, if there was no pandemic, you could probably look to turn this around in the next three months, given what it looks like right now. You know, you probably double to triple that timeline. So hopefully this year. Um, But I could see picking up a play set or two if you're getting them for under 15.
0: Oh yeah, the, the ramp's real steep here. The supply real low, and this is important because it just got it just got reprinted in the mystery boosters. Oh, mystery Booster. But it's mm-hmm. non-foil. Anything in the mystery boosters that was everything in the mystery boosters uh, at the LGS in the LGS version is either a non-foil or a foil, and this happened to be a non-foil, which means it's pro- this foil reprinting is probably safe for a good long time. So uh, there was hardly already wasn't that many around. There's some softening in the market right now. Again, not the kind of thing you need to be in a rush to go scoop, but picking up some of these between 12 and 14 and holding for a year is probably going to work out just fine.
1: It it seems like one of the less exciting cards that we've picked even in the last couple of weeks uh, and might have kind of a long timeline, but it's hard. I think it's one of the safest cards we've
0: talked about. It's a, just because it's, a, it's like it's a super You're not going to see
1: foils again, and it's very popular. It's a
0: super staple, most, just only in EDH, but very important there. All right, so my pick uh, is pretty similar, but for uh, Pioneer and Modern, Hardened Scales foils can be found under 10 bucks again, and that rings my bell since Lurus Affinity is back on top uh, in Modern, and Hardened Scales is in 11,000 reported decks on EDH Rec. So you've got that perfect storm of a competitive format driving a a potential spike um over maybe a longer period of time than normal but with that edh backing that guarantees you're probably going to get there anyway the only caveat here is that hardened scales as a foil could easily be one of the cards in the green commander uh foil set that's supposed to come out this summer so you do have to fade that reprint
1: yeah, I think I, I Hardened Scales I'm definitely on board with. I'm not too worried about the Green Commander stuff. It, it doesn't seem like the type of card they would target for that product. Um, and they can prove me wrong, but I, I do like the card. I like it in Modern with the new Affinity deck wanting to play it. I like that it's good in Pioneer, and we will continue to find uses for it in that format. Um, I like that it's good in EDH, and any deck that plays counters is probably playing Hardened Scales because it gives them something to do. Uh, on low mana and in between their other spells so i think the card is overall just good and if if this is at a you know i'm not looking at the price graph but if this is at kind of an idea at the moment that's probably because of a, co- a, a confluence of a couple factors covid being one of them but i i like this card's um outlook for the rest of this year and into next year uh so long as there are no reprints
0: i don't even lay this at covid's feet so much as just that affinity was off the radar for a while um, yeah, and w- had been showing up more in Pioneer than in Modern but uh, with Luris Affinity is back in contention how long that lasts, who knows but Hardened Scales is just, it's cheap enough that it just keeps coming up and now it's got some over- some uh, redundancy with the Ozolith so Dex decks, mm-hmm. decks being willing to run Ozolith and Hardened Scales lets them have a very focused game plan that may pro- provide more longevity for Scales Um,
1: Yeah, Ozolith getting the play as hardened scales five through eight, five through six, whatever, gives hardened scales decks more viability and makes hardened scales better. Yeah. Because now it doesn't have to carry all the weight on its own shoulders. And
0: I've made money in hardened scales in the past, foils and non-foils, so I have every reason to feel confident that this will get there again.
1: Yeah, agree. Uh, It's it's even Um, even
0: possible that the reprint, if it was to happen in that commander product, uh, might not even affect it because... If the foils are very uh, pringly, then people may yeah. still provide uh, prefer the uh, lighter foiling process on the original KTK version. Anyway.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say. I, do we know what the foil process is on that product?
0: Let, let's assume that it's going to be like cur- uh, curved until proven otherwise.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree that if we don't know any better, I would assume it's that weird heavy foiling that's not great.
0: All right. Um, so your your pick.
1: My next pick is definitely more of a stretch for sure. It relies on Luris not getting banned. So take that as you will. Uh, but the Ar- there's an Abzan Aristocrat deck that popped up in Pioneer that uh, won an event. And this is like a Fate Reforged Rally the Ancestor strategy that uses Abzan- uh, Lurus to pull some of that stuff back. Um, if you look at Rally the Ancestors... Uh, this was in Fate Reforged. It is the only printing of that copy. Uh, Fate Reforged, of course, being the rather unpopular middle set in the Dragons of Tarkir block. Um, there are about 20 vendors selling foil copies of Rally the Ancestors right now. And it was, it is currently $4 for foils of this card. It was over $10 late last year, October, 2019, um, I don't remember what spiked it at that point in time, but it has come back down to about four. But what that tells me is people got excited about it. It brought up the price. Lots of copies got bought and sold. So copies came out of binders. Um, there was some movement in the market, which means there's going to be a lot less spare copies floating around that people never dug up because they they got pulled out on the first spike. We know that secondary spikes are always fun to be a part of. Uh, if the Lures Abzan deck, you know, puts up some more results. That's going to make these look pretty good. Um, Again, so long as it's legal, which is the, you know, the struggle here. Uh, As for EDH, I'm double checking right now because I didn't think to look beforehand. And of course, EDH rec is running slowly. Yeah, it's not too popular in EDH. So you're really relying on the Abzan Aristocrat strategy here. But if that if that holds, I like the price from like four to eight, four to nine. But again, can you how is Wizards going to pull that trigger? That's the question.
0: I, I don't see the, this being a high priority reprint. And I'd also like to point out that Rally is one of those cards that people might have gone in on for Pioneer that didn't pan out. And this mm-hmm. is one of the reasons that advanced information does not automatically equal profit. Like <laughs> if some guy. Go, went in on 50 foil copies of Rally last fall and never managed to unload any of them, then 50 people benefited from selling. <laughs> yeah. That, s- speculate. It's not even clear that the total of speculation activity is net positive to the speculators. It's entirely possible that enough, that enough people that think they're into MGG Finance do it badly enough that the majority of the money flows the other direction. <laughs> I have, well, I they, have no way t- of proving that one way or the other but it's entirely possible.
1: I mean they t- they t- I mean you kind of do. You can look at um what is it? stockbrokers and you know uh, uh, these very large scale uh res- you know studies of so-called stockbrokers and day traders show that even the experts trend at like 5051 51% or even below.
0: Well, average below. For, for instance, with flat. mutual, and it's with like mutual funds, they tend to do. They tend to underperform the market as a, as a class. Right. So, it really, it's like I would guess that
1: most speculators perform. I'm going to actually say it's probably worse. It's probably much worse than the stock market and like mutual funds. It's probably any most people who who fancy themselves speculators lose money every year. And I think you said you ran some Twitter poll to that effect, right? And it's most and like a majority ish people said they lose money.
0: No, no, no. It wasn't a majority. I mean, this was referenced in the Wired article as well. But it was very few people claimed that they made more than like ten thousand or something.
1: Oh, I, but wasn't there some, some substantial amount of people who said they made zero money or lost money? Sure,
0: but that—that that, I don't even think that's a weird number. Like, there's a lot of people that are armchains. Well, are, it's, a, it's <laughs> a spectrum for the first for the thing. You're not just MTG Finance or You're not. Every I would argue everybody's MTG Finance that's participating in the magic economy, you're somewhere on a spectrum. A lot of the people that I interact with are collectors first, speculators second, and they view the speculation as a way of making the collecting cheaper because they feel guilty about it. I, I would say if you are a person
1: who engages in the buying and selling of magic cards strictly to make money, not to finance the habit necessarily, but strictly... Because you see it as a unregulated, as essentially a stock market that you understand better, it has cool pictures. I still think the majority, of, a large percentage of people engaged in that activity, lose money, as opposed to make it. So my ultimate point, agreeing with you, that like speculators probably just do other people favors by buying cards. Yep. Well, for or, or, m- or more push, money than they, or they would have sold Or they push money otherwise. upstream to
0: bigger vendors, right? It yeah. it could be argued that they don't necessarily benefit the magic community directly so much as that they keep the vendor bigger vendors that are better at at doing it in business (laughs) by being 20% of their net sales or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyway, side notes. Uh, Rally Ancestors uh, needs a few things to go right, but it's a very powerful card. I could see it as a... I don't think it's going to get there in modern anytime soon, but it's certainly... Uh, a Pioneer thing. I don't think they'll ever bring it back to standard because it was crazy busted in standard. And it's just not the kind of like standard esque staple. They'll feel the need to reprint. It's not a thought sees or a fabled passage. Um, right.
1: Yeah. I, I, the, I, I suppose the worst case scenario here is that Lurus is banned before anyone plays paper magic. Again, you bought these at $4 and now there's nowhere for them to go. But like two in 2022, Pioneer could have some rally deck show up and you know, you, you, You bank it there so i i I like the card the longer the time frame the more i like the card basically yeah that
0: that sounds right to me like rally is good enough that it might be only be one or two cards off being great and probably in some ways depends on graveyard hate being as prominent as it is and that maybe the uh the power of counter spells in a a given format but i Graveyard yeah. hate is the bigger thing with, with Rally, because if they can just it's, wipe your graveyard for one mana, it's uh, tough to go off. Although, it's, And it's fair to
1: put... Po-
0: Sorry, what, what was the last thought? Well, during the era of Jeskai Black, I do remember playing against Rally and trying to deal with their graveyard, now that I think about it. And I'm pretty sure they can play through it, <laughs> um, depending on the deck.
1: Well, they yeah, I mean, if they design it correctly, you just play on the board and essentially make all your graveyard hate cards essentially dead. Uh but I think that, and it's worth pointing out here that we're fairly regularly when we make the point of saying, like, oh, this is open ended. And, you know, even if the reason I'm picking it tonight misses, uh, you know, it could do well down the road when this deck materializes. All of that is true. But we do, do say that fairly regularly. And plenty of those cards don't materialize. Right. So I suppose it's fair to be aware of that as well that for every. 10 cards that we say well, this looks great you know this even if it's not going to pop today it could be good in next month next six months next two years and two of them three of them get there but probably more of them don't than do
0: all right my final pick of the week is a uh european mcm play sorry folks if you don't have that set up yet but uh, if you mosey on into our discord i'm sure somebody will be happy to help you get there Avison angel of hope uh, aforementioned as being a spiking card, getting dried, uh, drying up after only a few printings ever being in existence, and um, in very high demand for EDH and casual cube play. Um, the Judge promos are from 2017. They were already drying up. They are now basically gone. I think there's a single listing at 150 on TCG Player. You can still get them at Europe in Europe about for about 55 to 60 US all in. And if your sell target was, say, even 85 or 90, you're looking at 40% plus gains.
1: No, this is this is very good uh, with the caveat that you can't have this card this year. You can you can buy it in Europe today, but you cannot have this card this year because as James and I wait to see if the packages we ordered from overseas will ever materialize because I would not trust putting anything in the mail between Europe and America god for what probably at least this summer possibly the rest of the year
0: tracked packages leaving europe in early april landed just fine uh tracked packages slow shipped that would normally take 2 to 4 weeks are certainly beyond the 4 week mark now for many of us that order from europe so yeah you're you're putting that avison away <laughs> <laughs> and probably just leaving it in the hands of your shipping partner in Europe until such time as you decide that it's safe to ship it to yourself.
1: But but that's fine. It's basically a magic trust fund.
0: Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. I've got a bunch of stuff sitting around right now. Like I was I was processing a bunch of stuff, maybe three thousand thirty five hundred dollars worth of cards yesterday that I know I just haven't like there's no way I'm putting it up on eBay to sell cuz it's just could be just throwing money into the void. So it's going to sit around for a while, but I was looking at it like, wow, this is some tasty stuff. <laughs> like yeah. This there's no these things are going to do just fine, assuming that we don't end up end up in Mad Max land. Um mm. but mm. there is there's going to be some patience required. Mm. For, fortunately, I was so, like, never on the quick flip plan. For the most part, despite people assuming otherwise, so the six to twelve month period was already kind of part of the game plan.
1: The the sandwich heavy investor pays off. Um, all right, let's uh, so we, hold let's on, bring on. it up. What's your what's your, what's
0: your favorite paper spec of the week?
1: Oh God. Uh, hmm. Well, I mean, the Avicons are just a home run, assuming you're patient enough to wait for them to get shipped. Like, it's hard to argue with free money.
0: Yep. Okay, so I think Avacyn's the best, assuming you've got a, a European access point and you're willing to be patient. What do you like out of the other five? Or
1: four? Four? Uh, torment. Just because I like EDH. Mm, I
0: think Torment is the least risky card hardened scales and rally require like are partially relying on lurus and and only become question like pretty good without lurus in the picture torment is gonna be great no matter what Season pyromancer is also a little bit uh modern meta dependent um although i do like the fact that i don't think obosh has any chance of being banned um, but if the way that they choose to handle companions affects all of them, then could get worse. But that green red deck already looked good, so I'm going to rank them: Avicen, Torment, Czp. I'm I'm
1: pretty much always going to refer to the EDH card over the competitive card unless I feel very strongly about the competitive card because, well, the competitive cards can certainly be pretty sexy if you feel like you're on the leading edge of, like, the inverter deck and you're like, oh, I'm telling you to buy inverters at a dollar because, damn, this thing could hit 20 bucks. Like, yeah, that's real sexy. But, like, it's (laughs) At the same time, it's like here's a super popular edh card that's not it's got low supply does not get any more copies and like you're not going to quadruple your profits and it might take a couple months but like magic's magic and we know where this is going
0: yeah all right pretty long one tonight thanks for sticking with us folks uh where can people find you online travis
1: uh, I am online at Twitter, on Twitter, at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I, and I am not in any tech publications, but would be willing to go on the record detailing <laughs> my salacious and dramatic uh, behavior to any publication willing to put it to print. <laughs>
0: I'm sure I can hook you up if I try hard enough. You guys, uh, Ooh, if
1: if, if Penthouse wants to do any articles about Magic Man, let me know. All
0: right, you guys can find me on Twitter at mdG critic as well as me at my weekly articles at mdgprice.com. dot uh, You can find me Grace in my hair, gracing the. I hope it's on the cover. I haven't seen like I haven't checked whether the cover is. I hope it's just my hair. That'd be good. Oh, probably not. Right? Yeah, like that probably, would that would be awesome. Probably is.
1: The the photo's too okay. low rise The photo's everybody's be too gonna have to stare rest. at it
0: forever. Uh, I don't even know if physical yeah. copies are manufactured right now. I, I wouldn't even know where I could get them. I guess the drugstore that's still open across the street might have a copy. We'll have to see. Does Wired still? Um, I'd also like Wired to remind our listeners copies, to check out the right? mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. I can tell you uh, one impact of this article is we have a ton of new users. For just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast. Fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business in a super active discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing magic, the gathering. Although if you came from the wired article, you might be disappointed by how straightforward and friendly everything is. Yeah. So, Uh, you know, adjust your expectations.
1: I'm sorry, but the cover is COVID related. Unsurprisingly. Um, But maybe, maybe you'll have to go find a paper copy. Maybe your avatar makes it in there somewhere. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in match together and single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code finance5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Brings us to the end of episode 217. Uh, A good one for the ages. I'm not bitter about it at all. I will see
0: you next week, James. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, everybody listening. Uh, Thank you, Magic community. I I will endeavor to do our best to be better than you think we are. And we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast
1: Finance.